Welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast on Colin. This is episode 142. Trump removed Epstein's list and more. Anything else you want to chat about? I forgot to put Diddy up there, but um, I figured we'd connect that with Epstein anyway. So let's see. We have Linda who is in the queue. I'm just going to adjust my uh, volume here for the media setting. And let's bring in Linda. Linda, you are on the mic. What is going on? Hey, Savvy. How are you? Hey, how are you? I am doing well. Um, so I have a, <laughs> your stories were interesting. I didn't kind of join into the show and listen until kind of towards the end. Um, but definitely I do have some views on Trump, <laughs> what's going on with him, as well as also what's going on with Diddy, especially the Diddy thing, because I've been following that. I mean, I've, I've known Diddy's been trashed for several years. Um, in addition to also the fact that he's very, he's a predator and it's not just towards Cassie. That guy has been a predator towards other people in the industry as well. And so I'm hoping that some of the men he's abused will also come out and speak out about him, but we'll see about that. Um, because allegedly, you know, he abused Usher. Um, he was really inappropriate allegedly with Usher back in the, or I guess the early to mid nineties when Usher first got signed, um, to LaFace Records, um, you know, L.A. Reid, like his label. Um, and so what happened was they sent Usher, who was, I think, 15 at the time, to New York in order for him to somehow go to, like, what they called Flavor Camp, which, you know, Diddy was with Diddy. But the crazy thing is, you know, Diddy kind of, I guess, was supposed to be working with him on like his image, but Diddy was doing a lot of really inappropriate things like Usher, you know, even there's a whole behind the music episode on VH1 that I watched that even he alluded to it in terms of how he saw a lot of things that he really never should have had to seen. I mean, specifically, he observed how Diddy was, you know, Diddy was having sex with multiple women. I think allegedly he also had maybe his first sexual experience, um, you know, he, which I don't know if he was kind of forced to do it or not, but just a lot of wild things that he witnessed that no kid should really be witnessing any of those things. Um, along with even did he acknowledge, I guess, like, oh, he used to wrestle with Usher over the like frosted flakes, you know, which is like, dude, you're creepy. Like, what are you wrestling with a kid for over frosted flakes? I mean, so yeah, Diddy definitely is bisexual. Um, that's very clear, but, there, I've even, I don't know if you know Jaguar, right? If you're kind of aware of how she kind of went viral, like maybe three years ago. Yes. For yes. I, I yes. saw some of her interviews, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So she, I mean, she exposed a lot of shit and she also even brought up Kim Porter. So because Jaguar, you know, she was, before she became like really a, a a somewhat known singer in the like early 2000s she actually was a part of the industry in terms of how she was working you know with certain labels doing a lot of promotion stuff so she talked about how she was at the Kit Kat club the Kit Kat club a well-known club I think in New York back in the 90s and how she overheard Kim Porter and someone else who was kind of discussing how she walked in on Diddy and Andre Harrell. Andre Harrell, who was the founder of Uptown Records, basically engaging in a sexual act. And so- What? Yeah, yes, yes. So I don't know if you know this, but Andre, so this goes way deep in terms of Diddy's perverse, his perverse behavior. Um, specifically with Diddy, and not just Diddy, if you even go back to Clive Davis, if you go back to Andre Harrell, like 
basically the way that allegedly Andre Harrell kind of got put on in terms of him. Like he initially, I think was with Def Jam and you, and I know you've heard of Russell Simmons and his bullshit, the shit that guy has been on in terms of how he abused multiple women, but also yeah, Quincy Jones. I see someone in the chat saying Quincy Jones. Yep. Quincy Jones as well. All these guys definitely have been involved in like sexual, like, you know, sexual relationships with other men. Um, this is somewhat known, even though the facade has been, oh, you see them with women. Even Clive Davis, he was married for several decades, but it wasn't until maybe the past 10 or 15 years, he's kind of more openly come out as, as, and acknowledged that he claimed he was bisexual and that he's now with, he's divorced now and he, he's with a man, like he's in a relationship with another guy. But yes, this was very interconnected. So Diddy got his label through... Um, Sorry about that. That's my phone. But um, yeah, Diddy ended up basically getting his label through Clyde Davis, Davis with Aerosol Records um, back in the day. And so allegedly Diddy was Clyde Davis's plaything. Um, allegedly, what? Yes. Yes. And prior to that, the way Diddy got put on through Uptown because he was an intern with Uptown. It was through Andre Harrell being his little plaything. So yes, all of this stuff is somewhat connected in a sense because that's how the industry works. You, it's it, and it's gross, but that is somewhat how the industry works. Where you have a lot of people engaging in very just like these really weird sexual, like sexual, like very ritualistic behaviors that sex is involved in that, and it's and it's bizarre, but it but it absolutely happens. Um, and I think that's why I don't know if you heard of Sloane Bella, the psychic, who she basically was able to predict she, to a T, predicted exactly when Diddy was going to get exposed for all this. Because she, yes, if you go to YouTube and Google, I mean, just look into Sloan Bella, S-L-O-A-N, and then it's a separate word, B-E-L-L-A. Back in June of this year, and I, I mean, I watch her content. She actually is pretty accurate. She actually, she channeled Kim Porter. And Kim Porter, like when she was channeling her, she actually, you know, Kim acknowledged that she witnessed a lot of really sexually inappropriate things that Diddy was involved in. And she alluded to like this, the sex trafficking stuff that, the, and also the fact that, you know, Kim Porter was killed. She was not, she died mysteriously, but it, really she was killed. That I guess the way she was killed was through, um, they're saying it was pneumonia, but it really wasn't. What it was was that her house was being bugged or was being monitored or watched. And what ended up happening was that she was using some kind of nasal spray that had lead shavings in it. And that's how she was kind of getting, you know, really sick over time. And then eventually she just, when the, the day she died, she just passed out. Um, and so then it kind of looked like, oh, she had pneumonia, but that's not actually what it was. And so, yeah, the rabbit hole definitely goes deep. I see someone in the chat saying that it goes very deep because a lot of her family and her friends, they they suspect that she was killed. This was even her, the the, the father of her first child, um, Albie Shore. When, after she passed, he came out and he even said, I believe that she that she was murdered. And he mysteriously got really sick and was hospitalized maybe a few <laughs> months after that. So none of this shit is a coincidence. Diddy is actually very dangerous. Um, if you look at the court records on Cassie's case, specifically, Cassie even said back in 2012, when she, her and Diddy were on a break, she started dating Kid Cuddy. And so when she was dating Kid Cuddy, Basically, Diddy got really angry. And so he had that dude's car blown up. And even Kid Cuddy, after this whole case kind of leaked or whatever, and the records got put out there, he acknowledged that, yeah, his car basically was blown up in his driveway. So, yes, Diddy, because he threatened. Diddy basically told Cassie, I'm going to have his car blown up. And that's what actually happened. So, yeah, Diddy is 
definitely a dangerous person. Um, he is someone who is connected to a lot of the right people. Um, but at the same time, I think with what's happening, his time to be, to get exposed is happening because there are other more powerful people above him who are going to definitely use him to get him exposed before they themselves would be exposed, if that makes sense. So. So I heard about Kid Cudi um, mm-hmm. and I just, you know, this shit is wild. Like I just, I just looked up Sloan Bella. I found her on YouTube. It says Kim Porter, P Diddy and spiritual policy. Yeah, she did two videos. So the first video was done in June of this year. And she said the specific date. She said the date that I'm picking up on when all this is going to come out about Diddy is November 15th. And so it was the following day that that it became public, the lawsuit that Cassie had filed, like that she had initiated on Diddy. Um, so yeah, that kind of went viral when people were like, oh shit, this is really happening. She actually went viral because people realized, oh, she really accurately predicted this. Um, and then she put out another video. I, I want to say maybe shortly, at, like maybe sometime in November, she, like later on, she put out a video where again, she channeled Kim and she kind of expounded a bit more on some of this. But the fact is that like, you know, like she kind of expanded on, expounded on the fact that more is definitely coming with regards to Diddy. And like, he's definitely still going to be on a decline, like in terms of really kind of getting exposed. Um, that is not something that's going to stop. Um, it's absolutely happening because there are more powerful people who do not want to get exposed. So therefore he's someone who is going to, you know, not necessarily take the fall, but just his dirt will be more likely to be revealed as what he's been doing all along because this goes, it's, it runs very deep. Um, and that it's, it's a lot of powerful people who are connected in terms of this idea of like the sex trafficking, especially. So what Cassie was speaking to was very accurate. Um, that absolutely happens in the industry. Basically what Cassie was, was like what you would consider like a beta sex slave almost in a sense where she basically was being pimped out by Diddy. Um, to other people, like while yes, there were these escorts that she was forcing him to have have sex with, but it, she was a pass around basically. And even and do you all we talked about? Do you all remember the rapper Mace? Yep. Yeah. Because when he left the industry, he was making all those types of allegations, and I think he went on to be some type of minister. He did. Yeah, yeah he became a pastor. He turned to he turned to God. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he, he left New York and he went to Atlanta. So he was, yeah, he specifically left New York City. And then there was more to why Mace also left too. But it wasn't just the Diddy situation. It was also that um, he was involved in potentially someone who ended up getting killed. But it was just like a young guy who was kind of like a, a, street, a street thug or whatever in Harlem back in the day. But yeah, there was a lot more to why he ended up kind of leaving the industry. But yeah, Diddy was definitely a part of it too because he was in a really bad contract. And so he, Mace has kind of talked about how Diddy definitely basically misled him to where he signed off all his publishing to Diddy for only $20,000, which makes no sense because after Biggie was murdered, Mace was actually one of the primary writers for a lot of the music that was coming out out of Bad Boy. Like he was writing a lot of that music. He was doing a lot of ghostwriting. He was writing a lot of stuff. And so that was where he got very upset because he had talked about, this was more recently, maybe like a year or two ago, he kind of came out and talked about how he basically had offered Diddy like 2 million to get back all his publishing. And Diddy basically laughed at it and refused and said, yeah, no, I'm actually selling the publishing for 
close to, I think he said it was 20 million to some Italian guy or whoever, I guess whoever he was choosing to sell it to. Um, he didn't want to give it back as publishing. And so he got really upset about that. And he went and started blasting Diddy publicly um, because of all this, because Diddy has been known to be a shisty ass, you know, businessman in terms of how he has really taken advantage of all those artists. And the reason why you kind of saw these one hit wonders with Diddy over, like as time went on with his bad boy label is because for him, it was just about him just trying to extract money and put people in bad contracts. It stopped, yeah. really, yeah, it stopped being about the music and good music. But these and these were like really talented people. Like yeah, they were really, um, you know, like like I said, Mary J. Blige was the only one that managed to have a a long career. But I mean, like all the other people were still talented. Like Total, I thought was really talented. Craig Mack yeah. was talented. Danity Kane was. What the hell happened to Danity Kane? I mean, it's yeah. just yeah. yeah. And even so, Aubrey O'Day, she came out after Cassie filed that lawsuit. She kind of came out and what she talked about, which I thought was kind of interesting because, you know, Aubrey O'Day is kind of a hot mess a little bit, but she did definitely speak to the fact from her perspective that Diddy basically was trying to also kind of, she said, involve, she also I think said she was going to file a lawsuit against him, was trying to basically kind of also get her to be involved in some of that foolishness in terms of like just some of that like really grimy stuff that was happening where basically wanting to kind of have her be involved kind of in, I don't want to say like his sex parties, but definitely in some really inappropriate like things. And she was just like, yeah, no, like she, you know, didn't care to involve herself in that. And so that's, so from her perspective, she felt like that was really why she got kicked out of the group because she was not willing to kind of, you know, to, immer oh. to involve herself and a lot of stuff that he was like, you know, trying to kind of to get her to be involved in. Cause I remember watching like the making the band, the, like the Danny Kane part of it, but like the, the second season, when they were working on their second album, the dynamic between her and Diddy was so bizarre the way he was talking mm -hmm. to her. It was just weird. And I was wondering what's kind of going on with these two, because I remember at the time there were rumors about those two that, oh, she was dating him or she was doing, but this is when Diddy was still technically with Kim Porter. But then it kind of came out that like, oh yeah, no, like that uh, she was really actually, I think, in a relationship with some DJ or some, some, someone else in the industry. However, I wouldn't be surprised if just at, for, Diddy trying to be controlling of her potentially that that's why he put her through whatever and then eventually just kind of cast her aside and got rid of her, you know, because this whole thing was like, okay, well, if you're not going to do what I want you to do, get out of here or whatever. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's also why, you know, eventually she ended up getting kicked out of Danny McCain. So I have three words, honey, sex, lies, and videotape. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. It's uh, crazy. Like all of this is coming out, you know? Yep. But I'm happy it is it because it's about time. That all this comes out and you know what and and i hate to go in this direction but i'm gonna go there because i believe there is some connectivity and validity to it you know in the spirit realm there was always this dynamic about lucifer being the god of music mm -hmm. and that music is one of the fundamental channels how evil can get into the environment and and all of this stuff that you've been talking about, Linda, just has such a demonic, mm -hmm. you know, aura to it. Absolutely. It's like people being abused, people just being exploited, people being forced to do the worst of things, you know, that they wouldn't ordinarily involve themselves with. You yeah. know, it's the power struggle, it's the just everything. And 
to me, this is, and you know, some of that rap music and especially um, with Puffy, there's always been something dark about him. Mm-hmm. Yep. His energy has always been dark. And it's just like to hear these things coming out is no surprise to me. But, you know, I wonder, you know, how many people have really been spiritually hurt and devastated and and won't outlive what they have seen and experienced. It's just really tragic. Yes. And I think the point you're bringing up is such a valid point um, about how not only demonic the industry is, but really that's where I feel really sad for some of these people because it shows you what a facade fame really is in the industry itself, because it really shows you. I mean, like I think R. Kelly was just the tip of the iceberg. But because he also, if you think about it, that was technically sex trafficking and what he was doing, but on a completely like, you know, separate level. But what you see, and I think with Diddy, because I think it reaches maybe like a bit more of like, you know, Diddy is very well connected. There's, I think, again, an upper echelon to kind of some aspects of what he was doing. But I think because with him as well, there's been so much death, I think, associated with Diddy, which, and also people like Fred Mack is dead. I mean, he died some years ago. Um, you have other artists of his who were incarcerated because they went broke and they ended up engaging in criminal activity. Um, you have what happened to Shine. You saw what happened to G. Depp. He's locked up. Um, I think the other dude, Loon, he's also locked up. I think he may have gotten out, though, not too long ago. But, yeah, he was locked up for a period of time. So a lot of folks have – I mean, I, the other thing, too, that – I think him kind of trying to seduce other men in the industry, like other guys have come out, like even the game kind of talked about how when he was first kind of getting brought, you know, he was starting to try to get connected into the industry. He talked about how, yeah, for two years he was kicking it with Diddy and they never worked on music. Never once they stepped into a studio that Diddy was basically, oh yeah, you know, like was just kind of showing him a good time. So you're like, really, that's all he was showing you. You weren't doing anything for that good time. I mean, so it just makes you wonder to an extent because I've even like Jaguar Wright kind of told a very interesting story about how, um, I don't know if you guys remember Christopher Williams, the R&B singer from the 90s who was in that movie, New Jack City. Yeah, he, how, he actually was with uh, Stacey Dash. That's who her first kid is by. Yes, yes. So, uh, okay, this is very, it's very jarring. But in one of Jaguar Wright's videos, she, and I do believe this is absolutely accurate because other people have kind of said, yes, this was true, what she said. And it's, I, I don't think it's a coincidence she's never been sued for any of the stuff that she said. So she's very well connected and definitely knows kind of what was going on. She said how someone who used to work for Diddy back in the day in the nineties, when he was with Uptown specifically, when he was, you know, um, at Uptown walked in on Diddy, on Christopher Williams sucking off Diddy. And basically around that time period, which, and I remember reading an article about this, but this was like maybe years later, obviously not when this happened, Christopher Williams had a really, I mean, he got, he got very heated when he was in the offices of Uptown to where he just basically kind of destroyed. It was, this is pretty infamous what he did, but he destroyed like, you know, some of the office spaces, like, you know, like in, at Uptown, at Uptown Records around this time period. And then eventually Diddy got let go. Andre Harrell let go of Diddy. And that's when Diddy ended up connecting to, I guess, uh, Clive Davis. And maybe he kind of had been dealing with the Clive Davis before that. And that's how he got his own label through, um, you know, Arista slash, you know, that's where, you know, bad boy or whatever. And so I don't think any of that is a coincidence in terms of, you know, Diddy was, I think, definitely reckless. Like part of his lawsuits, 
the current lawsuits that him and Aaron Hall were raping women, you know, allegedly like collectively in the early nineties as well. Yeah. And so some like I think one woman came out and she's suing him for that. Yep. So yeah, he was doing a lot of crazy stuff. But wait, um, so do you think this is what I'm wondering, any connection with this and I'm wondering if Diddy had any connection with Jeffrey Epstein. I would not wonder. I'm sure they, they knew each other. And I only say this because Diddy, if you remember, he had those all white parties like back in the late 90s, throughout the 2000s. Diddy definitely was like what you would consider almost like a socialite at one point where he was like, yeah. he was absolutely like had, like he was very well connected, knew a lot of people, um, people were around him and people of all, you know, uh, races, you know, were around him. Like, you know, he had a home, I think, in, um, What's that place in New York? That little, what's this? Uh, Hamptons. Hampton, yes. The Hamptons. Like he would do his white parties in the Hamptons back in the day. So yes, I would not be surprised if they knew each other because technically Epstein also was, like he was, you know, also technically, I guess, a part of like this elite circle, like through Ghislaine Maxwell as well, like in the nineties in New York city. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they knew each other. I'm sure they probably did know each other actually, but to, were they connected in terms of some of the stuff that like they were doing? I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't necessarily only because some of these, some of these like things might just run parallel. I mean that multiple different people are doing different things and maybe it's kind of known that they're doing different things because I think a lot of what Diddy was doing, a lot of people in the music industry and also maybe it's like, you know, uh, I think also the movie industry kind of were aware of Diddy because like Jamie Foxx used to like he's talked about Diddy's parties and um, he almost died yes yeah yeah I mean so multiple people have kind of talked about you know Diddy's parties or have been to these parties and you know a lot of them you know actors and you know folks you know especially in black Hollywood but like and then also of course like you know folks who are like entertainers like you know that are actual singers and that are in the music you know industry side of it so yeah Diddy definitely is someone who I think he's um and I hate to use the word Illuminati but he's like one of the top grown people but like he's not quite like someone you would consider is like like maybe at the level of like a Clive Davis per se, but he's someone who definitely is like a, who's above, you know, maybe some of these other artists like a 50 cent, like, because he definitely is with the fuckery. Like he's been involved in a lot of this nonsense. And so he's been propped up basically. And see, I would see Diddy as being more low end as compared to Epstein in yeah. terms of yeah. their clientele, because Diddy from what, you know, what's being said is he was definitely involved personally in the exploitation of these people and you know having them do things you know with him with other people this and that which is a lot more um engaged than what we've been hearing about epstein and yeah. and epstein you know he had the the island and this and that and he had the connections to the real movers and shakers on a global you know perspective and so yeah. i i could see where of course, they would know of each other because they're moving in a similar type of dynamic. But I would think they would have been moving in really kind of separate circles. You know, there's always going to be some overlap when people are doing lascivious things. Mm -hmm. But I would think their universes, so to speak, and their market shares, if you will, were probably um, not intersecting circles in a big way. I hear what you're saying. And I will say this. So I do think with 
Diddy specifically, um, and well, no, actually with Epstein, I want to comment on that because I've, you know, I've also been paying a lot of attention to what's been going on with Epstein. And so I think with Epstein, you are correct to say that Epstein was definitely much more well-connected. Like Epstein, I mean, it was pretty well known. It's come out that he was absolutely affiliated with Mossad. I mean, that he was, him and Ghislaine Maxwell were affiliated with Mossad, that they were basically being used. Well, not they were being used. They were basically, you know, uh, blackmailing a lot of U.S. politicians, as well as also a lot of elite individuals like, you know, um, Prince Andrew, whoever else. That's what, what they were utilizing. They had this whole sex trafficking ring in order to ensnare people in order, on behalf of Israel. I mean, that's that's what's been said. And so I don't, and so yes, I do think, Definitely Epstein was on a more global scale in terms of what he was doing because you had governments who, that were involved in some of this. I mean, and that's just the actual government heads that were involved in what was going on that were actual clients of, um, you know, of Epstein in terms of this whole sex trafficking ring that he was overseeing. But also Epstein was involved with some of these, uh, the women that were being sex trafficked, particularly from um, like Palm Springs, like, you know, in Florida, West Palm Springs, whatever, in Florida, he was actually, I mean, which is really sad, but he was absolutely involved in the abuse of them as well, because they were being procured by Ghislaine Maxwell, and then he was trying them out basically first, before he was then, you know, um, using them, or having them basically service his friends and service these other people who are part of that sex trafficking ring, these more elite people. And so I think, which is sick that it was going on like that, but yeah, so he was definitely very sexually deviant. Um, Epstein. So now, it, yeah. what I could see is more of a combination and intersecting between Epstein and Weinstein. Yeah, I could see that. Because you know, and it's funny to me, and you know, at the risk of being labeled anti anything, it's interesting that these steams are all up in this sex stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? And nobody really talks about it, but I'm like, um, y'all seem to have that market pretty much cornered <laughs> on the high end. But it's just like, and then you have the connection with Weinstein and Oprah and that whole Hollywood cycle. And then you have Epstein over on the island and in that venue. It's just like, it's too much. But it also shows you how in the most powerful circles in this world, there is an underbelly that still takes us back, you know, centuries in terms of people's proclivities for exploiting and physically taking advantage of people. Mm -hmm. And it always seems like the most powerful amongst us have these appetites. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think sometimes it just gets to the place where they've been able to their money and access gives them the wherewithal to do anything. And I think to get to that next level of high, you just keep pushing the envelope. You know, you do this, this was, oh, this was wild over the top, just like with drugs, you keep pushing for the next level of high. And I think in the sexual realm, people do things. And once you cross a certain line, they push you to do even more things, just like with Cassie. I'm sure as a little girl, she never imagined that she would end up doing some of the things she ended up doing, but she crossed one line for whatever the opportunity or ever she thought she was getting or whatever relationship she thought she was in. Then it becomes easier to do the next thing. And then you look up and you've been, you know, pimped out, hold out this and that. And, you know, you look up and I often 
you know, ask myself, how do those people recover their soul? How do you get back in touch with yourself and just and come back into a understanding of who you are? And I think some of them never do. You know, there have been rumors out about Lady Gaga mm -hmm. and that she has, you know, made deals with the devil and this and that. And at some point she had regrets or remorse and this and that. And it's just like I say, it's just so dark. Yeah, one thing I was, was going to mention too that list when they say they announced that three names are going to remain sealed, and I'm just in my mind thinking, like, who are those three names that they're not willing to unseal? Yeah, you know, it's yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like, what I will say is that I think a lot of what people aren't talking about, and it kind of it kind of connects to what you were speaking to, Noelle, because this does go really deep. And yes, there is a spiritual aspect to it. It's just energy harvesting, right? Like, so, because if, if you think about it, Diddy, <laughs> as much as he, I mean, Diddy, it's well known that he popped, that he's he's an avid drug user. Um, he's popping pills, he's doing whatever. I mean, hell, he's the one who introduced Cassie to, to, to drugs. Um, because if, if you, again, if you look at the lawsuit that she filed, it's very, very graphic in terms of how she talks about how, you know, the way that she was actually really dealing with, you know, these like participating, these freak offs, she was intoxicated. That's why she could never really fully consent. If you think about it, if you are intoxicated, you cannot consent to engaging in that kind of behavior. He had her hopped up on drugs quite a bit of the time, actually, um, you know, or inebriated, like while she was doing all this, that's how she dissociated, I guess, in order to do whatever she was doing. And so I do think that, um, you know, energy harvesting is a real thing, you know, sex is another way, like you talked about how with music, that's a way in which, you know, I think you know, there's, you know, a lot of um, emotions being evoked, but in spell casting that happens, but even with sex, I mean, that there's a lot of ways in which energy is being transferred um, in a way that can also be very, like again, ritualistic and also a bit dark. Um, and I think where this was going on, I think especially from Diddy's perspective is that he definitely, the way I view him, he drains the energy out of the people around him, specifically the women that are around, that are around him. That is very obvious because Diddy, if you look at how he handled Kim Porter, um, you know, I mean, he was very abusive. It's his bodyguard has even come out and talked about this. His bodyguard gene deal from like the nineties and the early two thousands has talked about how Diddy has abused every woman that he's been with. Um, from Misa Hilton, the, the mother of Justin to, uh, you know, Kim Porter, he allegedly broke her nose when they were, I think somewhere, um, I think, I don't know if it was Bahamas or they were on some trip on some boat somewhere. He broke her nose because he, he found out that I guess when they want to break, she was you know, talking or dating someone else. And he got very angry about that. What? Um, yes. Yes. Um, and then magically the dude that she was in a relate that she was dating, that guy somehow got suicided. I mean, I don't know if he killed himself, but it was potentially made to look that way. So who, and I think the guy's name, he was, a, he was a label executive with Def Jam at the time. Um, God, what is his name? I'm blanking on it. But, um, yeah. Oh, something Stewart. I think was it something Stewart. I'm blanking on his name, but yeah, very well known guy. Um, this was back in 2012. I think he ended up somehow, you know, again, it looked like a suicide, I guess. But I mean, it's even been said that this guy didn't. It, I think it was Shakir, Shakir Stewart. I think that's his name. If I'm saying that correctly. Um, but that's who Kim Porter at one point. Yeah, Shakir Stewart. That's who Kim Porter was dating at one point when her and Diddy 
had broken up at, at one point. And when Diddy found out, he broke her nose. And then I want to say not too long, maybe after that, you know, Shakira Stewart, you know, I guess ended up, uh, I guess it appeared that he, he committed suicide. He died not too long after that. So. So one thing I was going to, you know what, someone just mentioned in the chat, Aaron Hernandez, or Dr. Nick said Aaron Hernandez. This kind of reminds me like when all this stuff came out about Aaron Hernandez, and obviously I'm here in Boston area, so I'm a huge Patriot fan. I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, I was like, how the hell did you have time to play football and play it well, mind you? And at yeah. the same time, you had this separate life where you were just popping people on the streets of Boston. Yeah. Yeah. But... Yeah, he and, and he was doing all this. And I think it's just, I don't know. I feel like with Aaron Hernandez, though, like what I really think is a bit unfortunate is that people don't talk enough, I think, about how, first of all, he himself was sexually abused when he was younger. I think that's, so there was some weird stuff that happened with him. In addition to also, you know, he, when he died, I mean, when he killed himself in prison, they actually also examined his brain and he had a very severe case of CTE. Mm -hmm. Um you know, and I think he was 26 or 27 when he killed himself, but he had a very severe case of CTE. And so I don't think any of that is a coincidence in terms of how it is possible that because unfortunately he was just in cognitive decline, that even though he was able to function to a certain extent, but did he really fully know what he was doing that when he was doing some of this? I don't know. Who knows? Um, who knows? So. And, you know, I always, when I think about these subjects and these people's lives, I am always thinking, my God, what were their childhoods like? What happened to them to, you know, turn them into some of what I consider these monsters, these spiritual monsters, these spiritual predators? And it's like, you know, if you don't, have a certain set of um, teachings and certain things that you learn as a child to put some guardrails on your behaviors. Mm. And I think you, it's really a damaging thing because you really don't have a chance if you don't get that fundamental understanding of right and wrong and respect for human life and this and that and the will of others. I think some of these people just don't you know, have a chance. And when they step out there, there is all of this energy. And if you have an ounce of talent or ability or something, people will lure you into the um, most, you know, desperate of circumstances. Or sometimes I think people are responding out of a desperation. People want to be this, that, and a third so bad till they literally will sell themselves and their soul trying to get to that golden ring. And I think, you know, a lot of them get there, you know, because when I think of people like Whitney Houston and her precipitous slide into a type of decline. But if you notice, she came from what appears to be a spiritual background. And as she was receiving awards and moving in her career, she would always say, you know, I want to thank the father and this and that and blah, blah, blah. But even that, it, it couldn't shield her from the vicissitudes of that music industry and being written so much to, you know, perform, perform, perform. And I just, you know, I just think it's really, really sad that this happens to so many people. 
who were, you know, what we would consider at the tops of those music industries. I never lose sight of Whitney Houston Prince and Michael Jackson because mm -hmm. they were, you know, of similar generations and they all reached the peak yeah. of the music industry in terms of performance, but they all ended with such tragic deaths and there was always this energy to extract even more out of them, more out of them. And yeah. in a way, and that ties me right back to, you know, my Plantation Nation theme in that you just become the cash cow. And yeah, you're really all this talented, this and that, but there is a machinery behind you that is milking you and demanding more of you till I think it just gets to be too much. And then, mm -hmm. then when you factor in the drugs and stuff that it takes to allow you to keep going out there and performing and this, that, and a third, I just think it's, it's really a, a, a bad dynamic. You, you know, you know what? So I think with Whitney, and I actually, I really appreciate you bringing her up because with Whitney, her, the, just what, what happened to her, it's really sad um, because Whitney was, she was molested by, cause you know, Whitney is related to Dionne Warwick um, right. and Dionne Warwick's, I think sister, I believe it was um, allegedly sexually molested Whitney Houston. Um, what? Yes. Yes. Yes, Whitney, um, she, so her close friend, Robin, the one that she kind of had a sexual relationship with, I think when she was like 16, but then after that, obviously, like she decided, okay, no, I'm not, that's not, you know, I don't want to go down that path. And so she, you know, they were just really close friends. She told her about what happened to her. Um, and so I think with Whitney, and this was really sad, I think about her situation is that she clearly was very gifted. Because Whitney, before she even got into singing, she actually was, you know, she was beautiful. She was talented. She was a model at one point where she was actually on the cover of Seventeen magazine. She also, I think, was an actor where she was offered the part that, um, if you remember the Cosby show, the, the oldest daughter, she was offered that part. But she ended up turning it down because she had just gotten her, um, her record deal with Clive Davis. And that so, would have been that would have been an interesting Cosby show. Yes. And so, I, yes. And I think what's really sad about Whitney is that Clive Davis, like what you said, Noel, is very true about how when you see talent, people who have real talent and how they get overworked. She absolutely, I think, was overworked in a way that even she, I think, got tired because Whitney really grew up singing in the church. So I think Whitney is someone who didn't give two shits about fame, obviously. Like she was from Georgia, she didn't care about the fame aspect of it. I think she just truly loved to sing. And actually, I think her passion really was singing, like singing gospel, not the pop stuff. And she's kind of, she talked about this a little bit in terms of just how Clive Davis was very much trying to kind of like, again, make her into this huge pop star because, you know, she was very much kind of sanitized when she first came out. She was never, that was not what she really wanted. Like she really, 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 really cared more about, you know, singing, like, or wanting to kind of sing gospel. And then also she kind of went more in that urban direction. I think with um, the I'll Be Your Baby Tonight, like that album that she had, I think it was her second or third album, um, like late eighties, early nineties, around the time she got with Bobby Brown. But anyways, yeah, she I'll was- your baby tonight. Yeah. 
yeah, she really loved R&B. Like, she also really loved gospel. Like, she was not really interested in trying to be some pop star that, like, Clive Davis was trying to push her in that direction. And then, yeah, she was definitely being overworked. Um, and I think it got to a point where Clive definitely used her up because when her voice, unfortunately, she started abusing drugs. Um, when And I think, unfortunately, she also, I think, was abusing. And people don't ever want to talk about substance use is usually you're coping with something when you turn to substances. Yes, there are a few, some people who, you know, they're abusing drugs because, again, there's something about that they really like. But I think in Whitney's case, um, even this kind of came out because people have blamed Bobby Brown for introducing but he drugs, but that was not the case. Even New Edition came out and acknowledged in their Behind the Music that actually it was the other way around. Whitney introduced Bobby to cocaine. If anything, Whitney actually got put onto cocaine by her brother. Right. It her was her brother. brother who introduced her yeah. to drugs. Yeah. Yep. It was her brother who introduced her to drugs. And so I think what's really sad about it is that she basically, and I remember even as a kid back in the 90s, like tabloids were kind of alluding to Whitney being on drugs. I mean, like before it became, before she did that infamous Diane Sawyer interview where she was like, crack right. is whack. But like in the early 2000s, but yeah, it. I mean, it, there were the rumors were there that she was abusing drugs. Um, why been the, the, the why been the husband as the reason? Is it like they don't want people to know it's them? No, because the the thing is, is that people had this perception of Whitney Houston as the good girl. She was as okay. like this wholesome uh, girl next door image. The same the same kind of um, perception that people had of like Britney Spears like early on. Yeah. And so they just, they can't imagine like that they would start something like that on their own, that someone must have pushed them into it. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of fucked up in the entire family is like fucking on Whitney. Like I, I didn't know about it. She was raped by a family member. And then another family member basically fucked up her situation even further by putting her on drugs. You know, yeah. And even the brother, because when he acknowledged that, you know, the thing is this, like, he was able to, you know, because, you know, they were out partying, I guess, and like, he was using it, he introduced her to it. And so unfortunately for her, though, she got really caught up in, I guess, the high, you know, like, like, she really got caught up in that, you know, just using cocaine. Um because I guess she liked how it made her feel. But at the same time, um and yeah, she just wasn't able to come off of it. And then here's the other thing for all the other people who are moving in your orbit, you know, they can do drugs and it can be a different thing because they're either just singing back up or dancing and the whole act doesn't center around them. So pressure is not on them like it is on the star. Yeah. So when she hit the stage, she had to deliver. And I'm sure she was very conscious of the fact that she really was, like I say, the cash cow and the payroll for all these other people. And so, you know, when they're talking about who's the number one artist and who's the biggest selling artist of this and that, that isn't on the dancers, that isn't on the backup singers, this and that, it is on your shoulders. And, you know, I think you can get involved in some of those drugs as a coping mechanism because you're never getting any, never getting enough sleep or any sleep. And, you know, you got this next concert day to do. And I'm not making excuses, but, you know, when you consider the marketing machine, like you say, they're promoting you as the good girl. Oh, you sang in New Hope Church and, you know, this and that. Then you're packaged. And you're pushed into this other market 
And, you know, you don't get to be like the Barbara Streisand to kind of help steer your own career and do all of this and not get overworked or overdone. Like I say, you're a mule out there and yeah. they're riding you for this, that and the third and pushing you into, you know, other types of music that you maybe otherwise wouldn't want to do and this and that. And you hear the other artists complain about being forced or pushed to sing and do stuff that they didn't necessarily want to do. Yeah. But um, I think it's just all really tragic, but I think, you know, we really need to do a different job of understanding the, the entanglement between how people are marketed versus, you know, who, who they are as people. I think, you know, because I'm, she was the voice of my generation, Whitney Houston, and I still see her as the good girl who, you know, had some unfortunate situations to manifest in her life. And she didn't have the right support system or faith structure to reel her in or the choices that she would have had to make to save herself would have been so, you know, monumental in terms of all the people who were depending on her. And it's just sad that with that magnitude of talent that that woman had mm -hmm. at her disposal, you know, um, I liken it to what a, I heard a preacher say about another vocalist. That was a, it was like a small lady driving a very big truck because she was just something special. And to see all of those gifts and all of that talent just come mm -hmm. to the end that it did, it just, it, it it still breaks my heart. But um again, it's it's the industry, it's the life, it's the choices, and it's just a real Yeah. No, I let's agree. Make, let's make sure we go to um I want to bring in Ashura and then I also want to go to uh, Linda, I can make you a speaker. Okay. Yeah, because I kinda wanted to mention Trump, but I don't wanna all all I'm gonna say about Trump real quick. Um let me accept. So all I'm gonna say about Trump is that he, <laughs> what they're doing you know, to especially in Colorado to keep him off the, you know, the ballot. And then you have other states that are now trying to look into doing the same thing. Honestly, it's it's a disgrace. And it really shows you how our democracy is a fucking facade. Excuse my French. It's a facade. And I only say this because Trump, I, got, I, I don't give two shits about Trump. I think, you know, I think he's corrupt as hell. However, legally, he has not been convicted of anything. So... If he has not been convicted of anything, why are you then trying to make sure that he doesn't get on the ballot? Because what it's kind of showing me is that, you know, there's a deep state that clearly exists that is trying to ensure that Biden is the person who wins here. And if that's the case, when this man is clearly dementing and can barely function, um, what does that then say about the fact that you know, hey, if this is supposed to be a democracy here, look at how they're even handling or mishandling the Democratic, you know, uh, you know, their own primaries where they've kept off, you know, like what they've done in Florida, where they're just giving, you know, everything to, to Biden. I mean, instead of actually allowing there to be a real process because there are people who are running. So it's just it's very bizarre what they're doing. And also, I think it's just, um, yeah, it is very dangerous because what's going to end up happening is that this will definitely go to the Supreme Court. And I actually think the Supreme Court is going to rule in Trump's favor. They're not going to get away mm -hmm. with it. 
Um, so it's just, I don't know if they're doing this for theater per se, or, and it, which I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of it too, if, that, if they're doing this as a part of a distraction in some sense. It's just very bizarre what um, they're doing here because I, I think the American people are not that dumb. Like if that, I mean, like we're seeing what it is and, um, and I, it's just, it's, it's weird that this is even being allowed to happen at this point. Yeah, let's bring in um, uh, Jay David, and then I'll go to you, Ashura. What's going on, Jay? Hello, Sabrina. Hello, everyone. Can everyone hear me? We can hear you. Awesome sauce. Uh, well, I just wanted to chime in on Whitney because it's been one hell of a discussion so far. And I have to say, I don't know if anyone else picked up on this, but... Reverend Al Sharpton, how dare you? Do you have the gall? For context, Reverend Al Sharpton, at the height of Whitney's meteoric rise in the late 80s, just before she released her third album where she went New Jack, uh, she was booed off the Soul Train Awards because many felt that her music was quote-unquote too polished or too white. And Reverend Al Sharpton used to hold rallies, anti-Whitney Houston rallies, calling her Whitney Houston. There are photos archived of this. Look it up. I'm telling you. What is wrong with people? I think it was a CNN special, too. Oh, my God. Word, yeah. And then he speaks, he eulogizes her and talks about how the industry needs to better protect the artists. And I thought, how dare you, Mr. Blueberry Pie? How dare you? You are so, I mean, you he belongs on MSNBC because he, he, he is a huckster. I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry. But yeah, it's, that it's is, true. That's, that's totally messed up, man. Yeah, absolutely. He, he, used to, he used to hold posters outside Brooklyn in Harlem. I, I mean, uh, yeah, with posters calling her white knee. This is wrong. Jeez Louise. Yeah. That is, just, that's so that's so messed up, man. That that is really not cool. It isn't. It, it's one. It's one of the many reasons why I, I just it, it was it was hard for me to take Rev seriously because he really he really just comes off as disingenuous for himself, and you know, he, yeah. What a clown. Yeah. Sorry. Man, I knew he was shady though. He's just he's just so like and honestly I'm tired of hearing him about him being like, I was a part of civil rights and I I I supported this and da 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 like, dude, you're rich. Like, <laughs> I don't care about what you did back then. Like you're rich now and you whine and complain like an elitist person. Uh-huh. He is such a tool. You know, it's amazing to me that these people, and you know, I know everybody has to make a living, 
But it is interesting to me that these people who were all groomed through the civil rights movement, so to speak, are now millionaires in their own right. And they're, you know, I'm like, how, how do you end up being a millionaire? That's just like some of the people who get to Congress. And before you know it, they're the best stock traders in the world. I'm like, this situation is so bankrupt. And people just, you know, exploit everything to for personal aggrandizement and, and making money off of things. And I'm saying, at some point, I guess you just lose your way and you get caught up into, well, what's the, how am I going to get my next check? And they begin to sell themselves and their people out. Um, it's just a real truth. Well, you got to ask yourself, why, why is it Martha Luther King did and not the others? Because they all sold out. Mm -hmm. And you, you also wonder if they had a hand in it. That's a good point. Mm. Yeah. Well, that, that I, I, I figured it was common knowledge. And some, you know, sometimes I, I think I see things that I go back and I have to do a double take. No. I saw what I saw. <laughs> I tried Google that white me Houston. No matter how what combo I make, combination of words, I couldn't find it. Oh shit! Rev, did you type in Reverend Al White me? Uh, I I put I put White me. I put Whitney. Two spaces. Al Sharpton. I, I'm getting just eulogy videos about <coughs> Whitney Houston with him in it. They scrubbed wow. it. They probably scrubbed it. All right. Well, I'm going to look myself now because, no. They, pro they probably scrubbed it just like they scrubbed it when um, they had scrubbed information about Kamala Harris. Oh, yeah. And her track record. White Knee Houston uh, Reverend Reverend Al. And I'm looking, I'm looking up right now. Uh, yeah, you can't even trust any search engine nowadays, they're all basically obeying what the government tells them. Yeah, um, oh, this is this is where oh, this is oh, here's an image. Um, it's it's uh, it, it's in the documentary Whitney, a superstar's life from 2018. That's where I saw it. Okay, yeah, it's in the documentary, so. Well, can they get someone to play Whitney Houston that actually kind of, I don't know, looks Look like, like Whitney her. Houston with a good script? Because I remember you just mentioned that now. Wait a minute. Is that the same one I watched? No. The one I watched was the one that came out last year. Maybe that was this year. You guys know which one I'm talking about? Was, I think you talked about last year. Yeah, the girl, she's, she's um, from the UK. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 yeah you, I, I you were complaining it. about that. Like, she, you, she, she's... She's not an American. I found it. It's a Reddit. It's uh, it's on Reddit. It says, I was watching a documentary on Whitney Houston and saw this lovely bit from Al Sharpton. Reverend Al Sharpton and the National Youth Movement say boycott Whitney Whitey Houston. Sorry. Okay, it's Whitey, so it's not Whitney. Dang, man, this is crazy. I mis I misunderstood. Okay, I thought I thought yeah. I need to get my eyes checked. Socialist Pizza um, put a link in the chat. You know where it comes up to a Guardian article that kind of also highlights um, some of what you're talking about in terms of how um, 
Al Sharpton definitely, yeah, was referring to her as Whitey Houston and um, was kind of, again, how she, just the issues regarding her identity, I guess, and the crisis around that in terms of her being perceived as like white adjacent, I guess. That's messed up, man. The black community sometimes is fucked up from what I can see. And these old school cats, like they're controlling everything. I mean, mean, why boo her at the Lady of Soul Awards? I mean, that's what that's what really started this whole thing. Then she went all hard when she met, uh, you know, Bobby. So, you know, know, we also if we if we want to talk about her trauma and and who was it that uh, uh, touched her? Who was her? It was Dionne Warwick's sister. Yeah, it was. her. So basically, Whitney Houston, um, she's related to Dionne Warwick. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was her, I believe it was, I don't know if it was her, Dionne Ward's sister. I don't know if it was an older sister, younger sister, but she was also kind of in the industry as well, but just not as well known as Dionne Warwick. But yeah, allegedly this cousin babysat Whitney and touched Whitney and I guess maybe had her do things to her as well. So, yeah. I see. I got you. Wow. That's just, that's just so sad. And she stayed in the family? Yeah, because so it, it's sad because Whitney actually, I think she did, she ended up telling her, so her family ended up knowing about it. I mean, like she did tell her family, um, you know, that this happened. Um, however, I guess the way she looked at it maybe was like maybe through her faith. I think she ended up, you know, she forgave her to an extent, but it also, I think from what her friend Robin had kind of explained, it also kind of made her question, I think at one point, maybe her sexuality, I think, um, or it made her kind of question some things. But, you know, obviously, like, since he, she was so religious, she, you know, was very, she felt like, okay, no, like, I, you know, what was acceptable per her religion was being heterosexual. And so, um, yeah. Well, it's weird, though, uh, as Noel was talking about it, how this perversion that's going around in the Black media industry, this, like, goes back to slavery where black slaves were used as entertainment for white slave owners. And then you, as the black person, 400 years later, you're basically imitating the same disgusting behavior. You got the white version basically does their own pedophile shit over there, and then you're doing your own shit over here. It's the same shit again. And Ashura, there was a, you know, if you do the research and look into it, there was a sexual element and aspect to what some of those people had the slaves doing you know it wasn't all just sing and dance there was a dark a even darker side to that where they were using them you know not only as sex slaves but to you know put on shows in these small yeah. areas you know what i'm saying yeah i know christopher columbus was doing that shit well yeah, I mean the the thing is, is that I don't know. Should I say it? I'm gonna say Go ahead. it. Say it. There's just this this common theme of things happening to black kids in black families, and it's like the family is like Just keep it inside. Yes, like I never understood that. Like, what the fuck do you mean? We'll just keep this quiet. Yeah. The fuck? Yeah. Like, a lot of people have talked about this. Tyler Perry has talked about this, although he could be implicated in some other stuff. But Tyler Perry has talked about this. Oprah talked about this. Remember, Oprah was also mm-hmm. molested. 
as a kid by a family member. Yeah. And then you had the thing with Oprah with the school. Oh God! Oh. Yeah. Yep. It's a. It's like anybody who gets fucked up <laughs> uh, as a kid somehow gets to be they they move up the chain, and then somehow that struggle they had somehow creeps in bit by bit, and then they fuck up. Right. Yeah. But I think in Oprah's case, I mean, let's keep it real. Like, look at how close she was even to Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm like, you didn't see that shit? Yeah, Oprah is an opportunist. I honestly, she's an opportunist in some ways in terms of who she associates and affiliates herself with, as well as also, I don't think she, if I'm going to be honest, well, yes, I do think the people who are in her inner circle, she might give a damn about, but does she really truly care about the, you know, folks who are impoverished and who, you know, are trying to better themselves? Honestly, no. I almost feel like she really, that school was a front for sex trafficking. I hate to say it like that, but... I would not be surprised if that was actually why that school was there initially and that it had really nothing to do with it. Like, I think it played into her image, but was that really truly like why she decided to open up the school for young girls in Africa? Like, why not do it? Why not do it in Chicago? Why not do it in the U.S.? Why was it Africa? Africa? Oh, my God. I never thought about that. Yeah. Because think about most it. people don't know who she is. They just see a black woman with money. Exactly. In the U.S., they know who she is. So she'll be vilified even more in the U.S.A. Well, I I went to see one of her quack doctors as a kid. That's where my parents took me to one of her, uh, one of the psychologists because uh, I was having trouble it's, uh, in the school district I was in. Um, and he basically and this psychologist who would later go on to Oprah, uh, he uh, as one of her experts in child psychology, recommended a school. Uh, that my folks put me in, and uh, I was I was sexually assaulted there. Holy okay. shit! What? I'm sorry. Yeah, learning prep school, West Newton, Mass. Oh my god, Jay! It's like she she attracts bad people. Like even Doctor Phil itself, with that you know smile and that mustache of his, he has problems. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine all the parents that took their kids to Doctor Phil before he hit, he hit the Oprah train. Wonder well, how they're doing. Story when he had his show, they said they would bring a bunch of people who were alcoholics, and they said in the backstage they would give them alcohol, just leave it there on the table, oh, and just watch these people just go drunk and shit. And they say, hey, uh, before the show came on, like last night, they, they said you were drinking last night. Where'd you get the alcohol? Oh, it was like there. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry to I'm sorry to hear that, Jay. Um, oh no, it's okay. I mean, it was. I mean, I won't go through the uh, with the details because uh, I'm still processing, processing it all. But uh, I mean, I've come to terms with it uh, for the most part. But I, there are moments where I still have to have moments, and you know, I appreciate you guys listening. It was not it was not a fun moment. Um, it was kind of embarrassing. Um, and you know, and when that happens, you keep it secret, or you just pretend it, it didn't happen. That's the shame is not on the shame is not on you. The embarrassment is not on you. Right, I understand. I I understand completely, and uh, I think it's taken me a while to, you know, re- remember that and remember how, you know, how I felt. 
and you know i i'm glad I, I, people are more open about these types of things now uh in terms of uh going back to diddy and i always always thought he you know he he always projected that 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 aura of wealth and he while playing his biggest artist you know death you know you know for his own publicity it was clearly obvious i mean there were rumors going around school i went to lps that diddy had a hand in biggie's biggie's killing Mm-hmm. I mean, that was always the rumors. Of course, the other ru- shit for years. I've yeah. been saying it for years. How yeah. is it? Both of your your close friends, Tupac dies. You just happen to be in the area. Nothing happens to you. Biggie dies. You just happen to be in the car behind Biggie, and nothing happens to you. And everybody else gets fucked up. Suge Knight goes to jail. Everybody uh-huh. who was there that night is done. But Diddy walks away without a scratch so with biggie though the (laughs) so this is the thing with biggie biggie had a horrible contract um under uh diddy and so biggie actually was trying to get out of that contract um and so a lot what i've heard is that diddy had biggie killed in order because of the fact that he was trying to get out of that contract what the hell yes that's i heard that too yeah i've heard heard that that as well that's why I heard the same thing with Suge Knight doing that to Tupac. Nah, sh- no, no, no. So the Tupac thing, that really was Diddy. Like Diddy was behind that shit as well because it had nothing to do with Suge Knight, actually. The crazy part was that Diddy, <laughs> so when the whole East Coast, West Coast BS kind of started happening, where because at one point before all that, Diddy was actually, Diddy and Biggie were really cool with Tupac and Suge. They were all friends. Right. However, right. What ended up happening was, you know, once I guess Tupac got shot, but now we all know Tupac shot himself. Like Tupac was not shot, like shot by anyone. He basically, something kind of happened where he kind of got into it, but he also, while yes, there was, I think, you know, at at the studio he was at in New York, he was kind of also shot at, but he had a gun himself and accidentally shot himself as well. That was actually a part of what, what really happened. It wasn't where he was targeted and shot at, but what ended up happening was once that whole beef, that was the first industry kind of or- orchestrated beef that you saw in hip hop. And so the idea was that with that happening, um, Diddy basically went full gangster from the standpoint of he very much was talking to um, the, some gang members um, who were, uh, who were I think, Crip, who were, yeah, Crip affiliated out in uh, California, yeah, in California specific. No, not yeah, California. Yes, California. And so Orlando, I forget, or the guy that actually, Anderson. yes, ended up really killing Tupac was now you, you heard about the, the guy that has now been recently arrested for Tupac's murder. That was his uncle who got arrested. Oh. And so yeah, I want to ask you that question, Linda, because you just said that Tupac killed himself, but was, they didn't arrest well, no. him. Tupac never killed himself. Tupac shot. So back in the early 90s, what led to the whole East Coast, West Coast problem was that Tupac actually ended up kind of shooting. He had a gun on him that ended up going off in the studio. So he never killed himself. He ended up kind of shooting himself. Um, That was part of the, I guess, but it was, but he kind of, obviously he lied about it because that doesn't sound 
you know, like hard, right? If you accidentally shot yourself, it was this idea that allegedly he was set up in the studio to get shot by okay, Biggie okay, and okay. Witty. Yeah. So sorry, I'm not explaining that well, but quad yeah. Studio. Hmm? Quad Studio. Yes, yes, Quad Studios in New York, yep. And so what really happened was, no, he he was not set up. He accidentally shot himself. And so that led to the whole East Coast, West Coast, Coast beef um, between Death Row Records and Bad Boy. And so really, uh, Tupac actually, well, the whole situation with um, Diddy, Diddy had actually, uh, I guess this guy that's the uncle of Orlando, I forget the guy's name. I think he he, yeah, he, 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 yes, he did. Yes. So he actually, he, and he's kind of talked about this a little bit, actually. If you look at interviews Kiki D has done over the years about how Diddy actually approached him and offered him allegedly a million dollars to put for a hit on Tupac. Um, and so when that whole situation happened in Vegas, where, you know, uh, Tupac and some of his boys, they, they ended up jumping Orlando because I guess Orlando got into it and had assaulted one of his friends, then it was almost an opportunity that came to, you know, they talked about how they were driving around. They saw Tupac in the car with Suge. And so that was when they basically, okay, we're going to get at him. And that's how they shot and killed him. So it was just like by listen. There's happened. there's something else I got to add to this, and I'm gonna go to you, Roger. You guys know who Tupac was dating at that time? Yep. Yep. Quincy Jones' daughter. Yep. yep. Kadada, I think. Yeah. And yeah. they were engaged. Actually, they were engaged. Mm-hmm. Close. Yeah. And closing, I, I before I hang up because uh, I want to let Eric and Anthony go and. But uh, I was talking about uh, somebody brought up, I think it was uh, Linda, you brought up uh, Shine Barros. And I, I, I was talking to somebody back in college about how um, Diddy left Shine behind, you know, in the court system, basically yeah. serving out the rest of his days. And then, they might, you know, the kid I went to school with was like, well, that's his own goddamn fault. He should have hired Johnny Cochran. Um, Diddy offered him Johnny Cochran. Oh, I didn't know that. That's well, that's what I heard. That's what he said. I don't know where you heard it, but by the way, before you go, remember to hook Sabby up with that interview. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I thought. Uh, well, I d- here's what happened. I sent uh, I sent Brandon the the email and I said, "Would you like to be on uh, Sabby's show?" And he said, "Absolutely." And I said, "Here's Sabby's email." I don't know if he got back to you, Sabby. Oops, um, he did. <laughs> oh, he you did. just reminded okay. me. I I you just reminded me. I haven't had a chance to respond yet, but he did just because I'm busy with like. It's kind of tough right now, like scheduling interviews because yeah, yeah. with the holidays and I haven't finished, I, I'm not even ready for Christmas. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I know it's last minute, but I don't know why I do this every year, but um, yep. <laughs> I, I still got to take care of that. And then um, I got to figure out what I'm going to do for what I'm going to make for Christmas dinner and stuff, all that kind of stuff. So because of the holidays, plus like, believe it or not, I still have like, I'm not kidding, not exaggerating. I have probably three loads of laundry to do and I, that I have to get done uh, <laughs> before Sunday. And I have a basket full of clothes that I have to fold. Why don't you call your sister yeah. to help you with the cooking? Oh. So I try, let me tell you. So <laughs> I, I asked my sister, I was like, hey, you coming over for Christmas, right? And da, da, da. 
She said, let me get back to you. I may have plans. And I said, okay. She never got back to me. So I'm going to like, <laughs> I'm going to reach out to her again tomorrow and be like, you coming or not? <laughs> like, no, no, no. When I said that, I expect to have a burnt, a burnt turkey or some shit. Oh, you try me for <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Roger, Roger, Roger caught it exactly. When you remember the burn <laughs> cookie, the muffins and shit. <laughs> that was the first time she actually messed up like food or whatever. Like usually, like she's she's a good cook. It's just I don't know what happened, and I was just kind of like, she goes, "I didn't have any flour," and I was like, "Why didn't you tell me?" <laughs> I don't think you can make a muffin without flowers. I don't know. No. All right, so so that's uh, all right. So at least at least he reached out to you, so that's good. All right, so, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you guys later. Have a good night. Hey, thank so, you so much. Okay, Roger, let me go to Ashura, then I'll go to you, and then I'll bring in Anthony because Ashura's been waiting for a minute. Go ahead, Ashura. Uh, yeah, about this Trump thing. <laughs> they said that this was an insurrection on last one was last year or two, no, 20, 2021. They said it was an insurrection, even though the guys they didn't bring their guns. But this might be an insurrection if Trump doesn't get on the ballot. Like his base is gonna lose their shit, bro. Like, if 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 he doesn't get on the ballot, like it's not about just him losing this time. If he does not get on the ballot, they're gonna fucking lose their shit right now. And the GOP, and I said it in the chat, the mental, the, the mental gymnastics they did to get this guy to get the votes, because they fucking fear their base. They fear their base way more than Dems fear their own. That January 6th shit, like, it scared the shit out of them. It's like, wait a minute, you mean these guys can actually come for us? Yeah. And they got no fear. Hmm. But I told you, the GOP already has established a workaround. They said, okay, we'll just run as a caucus. That way yeah. Trump can still be on the ballot. Of course, because they don't want the accusations of, hey, are you working for the deep state? Working with Democrats? They don't want that shit out. And then it surprises me, Chris Christie and all the other people that have been trashing Trump because he hasn't been on the debates. They all said, no, no, Trump has to be on the ballot. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought you guys hate Trump. Why are you guys promoting Trump? You would, you'd probably want him not on the ballot. I guess they want a little bit of favor. Like, you think Chris Christie will forgive Trump if Chris if Donald Trump makes him the DA or some shit? I just thought it was funny that a guy said that he's going to be supporting Chris Christie this time around. How do you go from Trump to Chris Christie? Yeah, like there's a bunch of people like that. They don't make sense. They say that though they they were pro Trump. No, they're gonna, you're gonna vote for Trump. And the fact that these Democrats, they are setting this shit up for Trump to win. I'm like, yo, how the fuck do you keep fucking with this guy? Every time you fuck with him, he 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 gets he goes up. This is not like the Hillary thing where the moment you don't hear about Hillary, her polls go up, and then when you see Hillary, her polls go down. No, the more you fuck with Trump, the more his polls goes up, and then everybody else that sees this that's not pro Trump. They kind of feel something for him. Yep. I'm like, what are you doing? It's like you're trying to lose. This is not how you do it. Like, no, you're you're right. They're just helping him. Like every time they try to do something to hurt him, it actually just helps him in the polls. And then he and then he basically does some shit like <laughs> making shirts, <laughs> and, then he, and that helps him. With the I'm like, no, I've never seen someone basically make a campaign or what? What is his mugshot? As for the 
Joanne Reed and got it. So Sabrina, did you come up with the name the emoji guy or did you pick it up on Twitter? I came up with that name because he looks like that emoji with the glasses. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I got that you picked it up somewhere somewhere else because you know Dwayne's got his Nazi Yahoo that's been picked up by Jimmy. So <laughs> I, I noticed that um Pierce Morgan has this weird shit when he comes you come on his show, he, you have to you have to basically condemn Hamas. And I'm, I think the only guest that didn't do that was Norm Finkelstein. Yep. He did not do that. He's like, like there's a point where he, he does a mic drop. I'm pretty sure you, you showed the clip where Norm Finkelstein did, did like, uh, they, they, when he said that, what about what your parents would say? My parents would say that the Palestinians have the right to hate their oppressor. He also said, I do not condemn or condone. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And then he said, he said, oh, well, I don't respect anybody if you don't, uh, if you don't condemn Hamas. But Norm Finkelton's been on for a second time, so I guess that was some bullshit. Well, you know, like I said, notice people are starting to change their tune. Uh, they started doing this with like the massive protests, but notice they're starting to change their tune more, I guess, overtly now after those uh, hostages were killed by the IDF. I don't know if it's the hostages. I think it's the protests. I think it's the polls. They can't. They they can't do cognitive dissonance with the polls. I I know uh, what's his name. Uh, Morning Joe tends to pretend that it's not true. They bring Al Sharpton in there, pretending. Oh no, the, 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 these people are just like they're having a little fun right there. They're gonna go and, and, and vote Joe Biden the moment Trump is the nominee. I don't no. think so. I don't think so this time around, you guys, because I said you know twenty twenty was different because in twenty twenty. People were like, well, we had Donald Trump. We haven't had Joe Biden. I'm willing to take a chance because I don't want Trump again. But now we've had both. And that's what I've been trying to tell people. Like, this is the first time in my lifetime where a president lost reelection. Well, let me say since I've been able to vote where a president lost their reelection and then they ran again that next term. I don't remember anyone doing that since I've been able to vote. Well, that's because he fucked up COVID. Like, he could have basically cruised his uh, second term. You notice when he was he was never at 50%, and when the COVID thing happened, he let the doctor speak for a couple of days, and then his polls went up to 50, but it's Trump. You can't take the light from, from the spotlight from Donald Trump, so he has to shove you to the side. And then his polls went back down. Remember, and a lot, some people forget this, but remember when we talk about, when everybody talks about the lockdowns, remember Trump was the one that said, I'm going to leave it up to the states. Yeah. And see, so the, that started under Donald Trump. Now, he didn't say we're locking down the whole country, but he did say yeah. I'm leaving it up to the states. And so that left it up to the governors to decide whether or not to lock down. And some people had a problem with that. Yeah, plus you got the vaccine too, so it's kind of a mixed bag. He wants he, he wants praise for the vaccine, but his base is like fucking hate the word vaccine. <laughs> They're calling him out on that shit, so he doesn't know how to fucking respond to that one. And the Bibi Netanyahu thing, uh, was were you the one that showed the one where he's talking into a house and he's talking with Jews and he's saying that the, the American people are the most gullible people that he knows? Yep. Or was that on some network? Some I played I played network? that tonight. So no cable news network has ever caught that video? Um, not that I've seen, but that doesn't happen. Okay. I just I haven't seen them play it, but 
yeah, it, it, it's it, it's really uh, fucking laughable that th- those uh, those Zionists are saying, "I want genocide. I want to see dead bodies. I I can't go but to know, dead bodies." And I think the language coming from the Israeli officials is as responsible for the turnaround that we're seeing in our media sphere as you know as much as anything else because it is. Just like with Brie, when she was having the the almost debate with Alan Dershowitz, it is just uber difficult to try and argue for Israel when you can pull up Israeli officials making these statements that are so brazenly, you know, um, clear about what they intend to do and what they want to do. It's hard to, to refute that. And so in the light of the protests that we see going on around the world over this issue, um, what we see happening in the UN with those votes in the United States having on the Security Council being the one to veto these actions, it is just getting to be so clear that there is a polarity in the world where America is going to be isolated with Israel and you just can't exists like that. And so I think there's this energy to try and allow for a change of narrative, but it's just so difficult because of the power that the Israeli lobby has. And these things are all, you know, coming together in the worst of ways. But at some point, the truth is the truth and people see it and it's hard to tell people what they're seeing they don't see or to reframe it as something else when you see what you see. It's just, it's too much. Is it better to have the United States on any seat whatsoever if they're going to veto everything and not kick them out or, or, or the UN members are just too cowardly to do shit? The UN to me reminds me of, I'm gonna make a joke here, but they remind me of the ombudsman's office at BU. The ombudsman office was basically like, they're supposed to like specialize in conflict resolution, but they will even tell you like firsthand if you ever like talk to them, because I had to do like, I always had to schedule like orientation and like plan that and stuff. And like, you always got to reach out to the different organizations on campus to get them to come talk to students. And so Ombudsman was one of the ones that had to present during orientation. And Ombudsman would always lead with, we are a conflict resolution, but we don't actually make, you know, decisions. We don't say who's right or who's wrong. They're basically just like to state what happened and try to get the two parties to have some type of mediation but they're, they're, it's basic. It's basically a useless office, right? So the UN kind of reminds me of the ombudsman office, whereas like they will write up a statement and tell you what the problem is, and they'll tell you what's wrong, but they don't actually take any action. Yeah, because uh, they they killed what? How many of their members? Like what? What was the number? When they killed all their their UN people down there, Israel killed them. I forget the I forget the number, but yeah, they killed UN staffers, and it's just you know the the fact that the state of Israel can kill UN staffers, that they can just massacre people, 
that they can ignore international law and there's no accountability, that is very dangerous. That is a dangerous state. Because if Israel did, not Israel, if Russia did it, it'll be nonstop coverage. Exactly. But see, the reason they're able to do that is because of the power that the United States wields on the UN Council because they contribute so much disproportionately in, in terms of funding UN operations. And then, you know, I just heard this presentation today that they were saying when the um, Security Council, you know, basically was passing the resolution calling for a ceasefire and the United States had the veto power and they vetoed it, then there is the uh, uh, policy where, you know, the, if, if, the, if a Security Council promulgation is vetoed, they can force that to the full council. And, you know, the United States doesn't want to be put in that position where they have to use the veto because there's this supplementary policy that forces the issue otherwise. And, you know, the Security Council is one of the few bodies that can, you know, produce actionable outcomes. And it's just, but, you know, when you think about it, what good is any council when you have two or three voices that can overwhelm, overrule, and override everybody else? It just doesn't make any type of sense. And it's clearly because of, you know, economic impact, import, and power. So, you know, if all the rest of us can do is, you know, chime in on these things in a very symbolic way, but we know that there are three or four or five countries that can shut it down, it just becomes, you know, symbolism. But but at a certain point, symbolism becomes powerful because the reality is the United States cannot enforce its will on the world in the way that it used to. It's a different day. And I don't know if any of you've heard, but I was I heard to yesterday where China has allegedly made it clear to the United States that they're going to reunify Taiwan. And so it's like, okay, where does this oh, go? Oh, snap. I might have to talk about that tomorrow night. Yeah. I, uh, I saw that. One, one more thing, Sabrina. Your, your two videos, um, the Kennedy one, is doing pretty well. I didn't expect your Don Filkerstein video to be doing that well because in two days it made like 433K. I was kind of surprised by that too, to be honest. Yeah. And uh, one thing, one thing I want to say, I liked how you were trolling them on Twitter, Sabrina. What do <laughs> you, you mean? Said, well, you said you were, were going to put the RFK receipts online on Twitter. Yes. About the campaign. Oh, Sabrina, did you get arrows? They came after you for that shit. <laughs> they came after you. That's like, oh my god! It's like a it, it, one person said that you were part of the campaign. I'm, I'm like, what? Like they said that that the you were part of the campaign because they they have your number. I'm like, no, that no. Do that, with it. that that Rose girl, she replied and said, "Well, that's because like they they sent this to all the volunteers." And I said, "I was never a volunteer for Kennedy's campaign. They have my number because I was on the press list." And Eric can tell you that in order for me to go cover that event when he did his announcement in Boston, you had to sign up on the press list. And when you sign up the form, like they ask you for your number and all that kind of stuff. That's why they have my number. I was never a volunteer. These people are fucking liars. 
Don't you guys think if I was volunteer for a campaign, you think you would see me on YouTube all the time? You know how much work that takes? And and here's the thing I've noticed. There's this weird cognitive dissonance uh, message that's passing around RFK supporters where they say, Sabrina or anybody else, you put in, insert any name in there, say, but don't you don't you think that he has a master plan? His master plan is to pretend he's not pro-APAC, that he has to say what APAC wants just to get to the presidency, and then he'll do he'll do that, he'll do his magic, he'll basically make everything right. He's a human being. I'm like, who the fuck buys this bullshit? People who have basically allowed a politician to become an idol. Some of the Kennedy supporters, like they idolize this guy, which I've warned you guys against. I've told you don't idolize politicians. And that's exactly what is happening. They see him as, as their Lord and savior. That's why, that's why they can't even admit when he does something wrong. They I can't yeah, this during the Bernie campaigns. Like they've fallen into that camp. Cause when you, when you did that video, that, that live stream about the, uh, uh his uncle, I was like, he is the complete opposite of the Kennedys. He's almost like that fiery head, redhead. Uh, was it the the guy uh, Joe Kennedy is his name? That the redhead one? Yeah, Joe the third. Yeah, the third one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that guy, he's he's just on the same level as dude. That dude. The, those are like the two. These are like the Kennedys. They're like the offshoots. The good ones are dead. And I'm and I'm wondering why is he lying on his uncle and dad because he's not like them. He wants to be like them, but he can't be. He's a fraud. Because uh, when you when you read the letter uh, about uh, uh, John F. Kennedy, I'm like, this dude went to live there. He saw it, and I'm like thinking, well, maybe we wouldn't have to had like Israel and Palestine right next to each other. We could just have one country. And if they got if this guy was alive, he he might have done it. Because back in the '60s, it seems like they were more radical to do shit in the '60s. Then over time, as the, he died, and then that Lyndon B. Johnson guy got in, right? He basically fucked it up, and it, and it, and war happened over and over and over again. But everything got dismantled. But it's it's really important, Chura, to not just say he died. You were fascinated. The '60s was a very um, volatile time in terms of you know opportunity for change. But these people did not just die. The system destroyed these people and deliberately, which was a clamping down on that whole notion of change, because there is, you know, there is an energy in this country that moves this country regardless of individuals, which is why, like I say, we we have this duopoly that reduces you to two very mutually unacceptable choices. All These things are by design. And if you don't get Trump, you get Biden, which is just, you know, Tweedledee and Tweedledum. <laughs> have people in this country who could move it in another direction, but the system itself is so powerful, it reduces your options to what it can live with and then tries to convince you that you really have an option. But there is not a dime's worth of difference between Biden and Trump in terms of what they will be allowed to do. And, you know, it's just that Trump was because he was not of the political machinery. 
he proved to be a wild card even for the the deep state or whoever to manage because he was just so unwieldy and that's why they don't want to see him because he is a more difficult animal to control but you know the democrats produce no better they you know they're just the the better more proficient evils in these di- yeah, plus you got the APAC thing. Like, a majority of people in America were not pro-APAC. They were against it. The moment uh, uh, JFK died, and it's like, all went to hell. They all became pro-Zionists. They had to put his brother down, too. Go ahead. Um, Let's bring in Roger. Go ahead, Roger. Roger, you missed it when we were talking about Diddy and Epstein and all that jazz. What's up? So... I caught the end of your show when you were talking about Diddy and T.D. Jakes and so on and so forth. Um, when you get a chance, because I was on you, I was on the um, that Twitter space when they were talking about um, what was going on in New York and the Disaster Reparations Commission that they did in New York State, and you know, like the person hosting hosting the Twitter space was talking about how we. They told them not to do it, and they decided pretty much they did it anyway, where they made it more Pan-Africanist, more Marcus Garvey-ish, than actually making it specifically for those of us who are descendants of slaves. And he was like, they did that on purpose so that it could get struck down, you know, because they're basing it on race pretty much without saying that it's based on race. And they was talking about how, um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, he said, listen, reparations is not about racial equity and civil rights or whatever. It is to pay a debt that is owed. And these politicians, and I know some of them too, you know what I mean? I was surprised, but um, there's really only one that was actually pushing the right bill. And that was that was um, Assemblywoman uh, Nikki Lucas, right? So anyway, um, I talked to, so the only group in New York State that is grassroots uh, lineage-based reparations is uh, U.S. Freedmen Project um, by uh, 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 Devon. I, f- I forgot his last name or whatever. He's, he's out of Brooklyn. So I, I talked to him and I said, let me know the next time you have something in person because you know, I would like to speak with you or whatever. So I'm going to do what I can to see if I could get him on your show in the next year, in the coming year, to talk about, you know, for him to run down exactly what went down here in New York State regarding that. And, you know, like the governor had lied to, uh, like a lot of people that was on there, they, they're just really getting into New York State politics. So one of them was saying that the governor said, well, the, you know, well, the, the through third party, they didn't hear directly from the governor, but um, saying, well, you know, there's an election year next year and she doesn't want to lose. And I had to tell that woman that told her that I was like, the governor is doesn't run on presidential election years. They run during midterms. So they lied to you. So there was no, <laughs> there was no pressure for her to, oh, I got to give them something. You know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm scared I'm going to lose an election or whatever. I said, she's not up until 2026. Matter of fact, I will just say this. Um, most gov- gubernatorial elections, third, all 36 of them do not happen on presidential election years. 
they happen on midterm election years. Okay, just just so that you know, there's really only like maybe a few that happen, you know, during the presidential election years. But anyway, um, I'm gonna if if I could, I'm gonna see if I could get Assemblywoman Nikki Lucas on your show, and also I guess at a separate time get um, Devon on on your show because he's like he's like you know he's like knows about you know this stuff so I'm, I'm pretty much learning from him now that's one thing now i just wanted to say this uh by the way i saw you say uh uh craig mack on your show you know he died right i was informed of that tonight okay yeah he, so i he guess died. tonight when i said bring back craig mack bring back the ghost of craig mack i don't know yeah yeah he he, he had some what happened was he like well first um diddy wanted to make him the reason why craig was the first guy and and he's like yo i'm gonna call you craig mac because he wanted him to be the mac the ladies and so on and so forth and craig wasn't really down for that he was more kind of like um he wasn't a flashy guy okay so pretty much he kind of kicked him aside and said okay i'm gonna make biggie that flashy Versace Gucci sweater guy right so that's pretty much how Craig Mack pretty much just went to the side or whatever the case is right but um he ended up like finding God um but then what was what well I don't know if it was funny but the person who he found God with ended up being some type of pedophile or whatever the case was what is um, happening here but he had before all of that came out you know, Craig had died. He had some type of bone disease or something. Mm -hmm. It was a few years ago. You know, you just look it up or whatever. But the the person that, you know, like he, you know, that helped him find God or whatever, ended up being some pedophile. But I, I'm not yes. saying that Craig was in on it or a Craig knew bone about it. Disease? Yeah. Well, look it up. I forgot what it was. He had a chronic. Yeah, he was chronically ill um, at the time that he died. And actually, he I think he died in North Carolina. But yeah, the guy that you're talking about that he was, I guess. <laughs> Uh, he was he was a cult leader. This guy was like, almost like a religious, some kind of religious leader that he got kind of caught up in his whatever his um, this like sect where they were all living, I guess, somewhere in North Carolina, I guess. And so, yeah, that's where he I mean, he died I mean, out there. So, but yeah, he was chronically sick, though. So let me just say this also. So when what Linda said to you about, I don't know, about 20 minutes ago about when you said hey i never thought about that why is, why is oprah doing all these things for black people in africa but not here whatever we have been saying that for like since the 80s or 90s at least the older crowd has <laughs> it's just like why are you running over there's black people here that need help why is she running all over there whatever the case is um I think she, you know, I think 50 Cent was right about her when she said, when he said that she has an issue with black men. And I think it's mostly because she was molested by her black men in her family. So well, the, she's, I, she got Stedman. It's an outlier. Think of that. It's an outlier. He don't count. Well, allegedly Stedman is her beard though. Have you heard how, like, really Oprah is with Gail and that Stedman is her beard? What is happening is here? You said you've beard? Never I've heard that. You've never heard that Stedman is Oprah's beard and that Gail is actually the one who's in a relationship with Oprah? 
I heard that. Yeah. But is that the term beard? Beard yes. or beard? Yes, beard. Like hair on your face beard, not beer like you drank beer. Exactly, beard, yes. Like hair on your face beard. But it's okay. wealthy. I mean, she's a billionaire. Why not just... She can just be herself. No, because she has an image. Think about it. Like, she's... Oprah is very much about the image that she portrays. And so, allegedly, Oprah really, yes, her and allegedly and Gail are, you know, they are in a relationship, allegedly. Now, is that really true? Eh, but that's been said. That has been said. That's been the rumor on those two for several years, actually. And that Stedman is a beard. I mean, there's a reason why they never really got married, I guess. But yeah, speculation, I guess. So, also, um, I just want to say this also. So this whole thing with, um, so, um, like I said, I didn't, I didn't see the show, but I guess you talked about Colorado Supreme Court. Yeah. So he, he, here's the thing. Um, so I, you're probably going to see Republicans say, well, two could play that game because Republicans run Michigan, um, Wisconsin, Ohio. You know, those are swing states. You know what I mean? Um, I wouldn't blame them for doing that, for kicking Biden off the off the primary ballot, seeing that they did similar things to Bernie. Okay, but this whole thing about them um, saying that the I'm seeing conservatives or Trumpeters saying that the Supreme Court is going to save them. Don't be surprised if they don't. And let me tell you why. Uh oh. For decades when I wasn't really kind of paying attention to politics and when I started paying attention to politics and so on and so forth, the Democrats believe in centralized government, that whole Hamilton, that whole uh, Hamilton thing, right? Republicans always believed in Thomas Jefferson type stuff where it's the states, state power, state, uh, the state's rights, all that different type of stuff. Their whole thing was to get the federal government out of the way and kick it back to the states, okay? So by them pushing for these Supreme Court justices, yes, the cultural side was just like, yeah, we want to end Roe v. Wade, but that's not really what the business side and the libertarians was, was pushing for. They were pushing to decentralize government and have a Supreme Court that kicks everything back to the states. Okay, and that's what they've been doing. Um, they got rid of the, they gutted the Voting Rights Act, kick it back to the states. With the gerrymandering cases, kick it back to the states. With Roe v. Wade, kick it back to the states. So they're going like, like among their their thing, right? So now, when you start seeing now because they because they've done that, especially with Roe v. Wade. Now you're beginning to see, which was kind of like what I was hoping and hoping for, whatever, the energy around people pushing citizen ballot initiatives. Okay, so now the that this whole thing with the abortion and all that different type of stuff, the the um, I saw Ohio and another state, uh, Michigan. I said no, uh, Missouri. They're doing everything they can, and Florida. They're doing everything they can to to uh to stop like these citizen ballot initiatives. So there is a fight that's happening right now, okay? Mm -hmm. And the left or the Democratic left or whatever left you want to talk about, they're actually putting up a fight in the state. So now 
you did all that you did all that time to get these justices on the court so they could kick it back to the state and now that you see your opposite side on the left is putting up a fight now you want to run back to the supreme court and be like save us save us save us it's like no you wanted to fight in the states then let's have this fight out in the states and this could end up happening with you might see a a birth of people looking at what options do we have and you might start seeing a whole bunch of, you know like even though I, i'm like hey i wish people would run citizen ballot initiatives for you know a public bank and tax the rich and single-payer health care so on and so forth but this whole thing with the abortion thing i think that is going to be the thing that and with the energy behind it that leads the way that's going to punch through the wall so that all of these other things can come through you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. um so something else i want to say with um dealing with with, with suge knight so with linda yeah so there was some things that was there that i just wanted to fill in some some holes or whatever one of the things um the beef kind of happened between suge and diddy because um, i think it was it might have been the night of the source awards after you know like um when they was outside and there was a fight broke out or whatever the case was one of these people killed suge knight's best friend and suge was like you better take care of it in other words kill the guy that killed my friend but he didn't and that's pretty much where the beef started with between them i mean the, when it got really hot okay also the thing with with he had hired um keefy d be, to 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 kill suge okay it's just that yo if pox in the way he gotta go too okay but according to keefy d it he was he was um assigned to kill uh suge okay because what happened was suge was um if there was a friend of diddy that was in california and he found out, Suge found out that his mother, that Diddy's mother had a home in California somewhere. So she wanted to find that, he wanted to find out where she lived. And when he saw um, one of Diddy's boys at a at some party, they pretty much uh, jumped on him, put him in the room and they tried to force him to uh, drink piss, to tell him um, where, where they live, where his moms live or whatever the case was. I don't know if he drank the piss or whatever the case is, but when what? he- yeah, you never you never heard of well anyway, let me let me let me just so when Diddy found out about that, Diddy was just like because when he, he was talking, you know, like he was talking to Keefy D and he was just like, I'm gonna have to kill this nigga. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If Pac get in the way, well he get in the way, right? So when that night when Pac was killed, okay, that that ended up happening because Pac saw somebody at in Las Vegas during the Mike Tyson fight in one of the casinos. And that and guy, that was the guy that grabbed that took his, that grabbed his medallion. Mm-hmm. Right. So Orlando Anderson at an earlier date um, had stolen a medallion from one of Suge's boys, and he said, "Yo, that's the nigga right there that got your that that got your uh, medallion." So yeah, but don't worry, but no, nah, no, nah, we're gonna take care of this. Okay, so the way the way they were sitting in the car when they left, um, 
he, KVD was supposed to do that, but Orlando Anderson was just like, give me that. I'll do it because he couldn't do it according to the way they were sitting in the car and where Tupac's car was at. You see what I'm saying? So it was originally supposed to be Suge Knight, but since he Tupac beat him up or whatever the case is, mm-hmm. you know, they, they did that. But you can look at it. Um, yeah. Who, who killed Biggie and Tupac? Or it was on Netflix. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I, co- I covered it a couple times on. Um, you just didn't know about the piss part. I know about the peeing part. No. <laughs> didn't know about that. I want to make sure. Um, I want to check on Dwayne because I think Dwayne has been frozen. Yeah, I was. I, I was done. Yeah, I'm right here. Oh, okay. I, I think, What's up, Dwayne? We'll go to you, and then right. I'll bring in Anthony. I think. Rob, no, no. I just wanted to Rob say. Um, talk about the pee part, Sabrina, one time on the stream. Oh. I don't remember. Yeah, I, I don't know. Go ahead, uh, Dwayne, and then I'll bring in Anthony. Sure. I just wanted to say, um, my mom, who uh, was the president of the New York Association of Black Psychologists. Um, and she was part of the Urban League. She is going under heart. She's having heart surgeries tomorrow, and I have to rush to New York to actually be there when that happens. And uh, I just want everybody to give her a shout out. She actually, um, she was abused as a child, and she came up from South Carolina, moved to Philly. She um, uh, got a PhD. She was a full professor at university at the College of Staten Island. And um, she's the reason why I am the way I am. I mean, she had Soul on Ice in her library and The Death of Black Civilization by Chancellor Williams. And I, she radicalized me basically as a child, you know, talking about the Black Panthers and everything. And um, I just wanted everybody to know that she's going under heart surgery tomorrow. I have to go to New York, uh, rush down to New York from Maine and um, be there in the hospital in Mount Sinai when she has the surgery and I was hoping that everybody could like uh, give her a shout out. I mean, if not for her, I wouldn't be who I am. I mean, she, she basically instilled to me in, in me a sense of uh, compassion for people and social justice. She, she met Martin Luther King, shook his hand and um, tomorrow she's going into surgery. And uh, we were talking about abusive, abused uh, children. She uh, counseled abused children because she was one. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, she had a very rough upbringing and she managed to raise herself up um, to a PhD. And I'm very proud of my mom. And uh, she's the reason why I am who I am, why I care about people, why I care about oppressed people, why I care about social justice. And um, she was a gr- she she is a great, great person. And and uh, I would just like uh, I would just just please uh, if you if you could pray, oh, yeah, for, no pray for her. I mean, Noel, you'd love her. Um, Sabby, I know you'd love her if you got to know my mom. I mean, <laughs> she's like uh, these, she's like uh, wow. I mean, she I admire her so much, and she's the reason why I am who I am. I mean, my dad's like a Jewish uh, Zionist, and I've had arguments with him my entire life because you know I I hey you know of course as a Jewish person I, I identified with the Jewish people for from the Holocaust but how do you identify with Zionists um, given the fact that they're they, they've basically become Nazis 
they're they're killing Palestinians. Palestinians are the the new Jews, as far as I'm concerned. They're the 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 black people. The the they've they've experienced exactly what we've experienced in this country because of racism, and now they're being ethnically cleansed by by people who have become who've internalized Nazi ideology, and um. My mother was always against that type of thing. I mean, she 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 would tell me about you know these Israelis about the way they treat the uh, the Palestinians and and uh, but I I just uh, I just had to say something about my mom because I've got to rush down to New York and she's in surgery today for her heart and she was she is a great person. She is like uh, she's always been very compassionate and loving. I mean, her sign off on her uh, answer me. She was always a uh, peace and love and uh so she's you know i just wanted to mention that because well, everything we talked about on the show was really um about as far as being abusive abused children that really struck a chord with me with regard to her well so listen that, my friend i want to share with you that i will keep you your mother and your family in my prayers I know this is a difficult set of circumstances, but, you know, like my mother used to say, we're none of us here forever. And I say that to you because your mother has lived a very rich and productive life. And so whatever. 85, 85. And, you know, and, and that's living. And I say that not to sound morbid, but to keep you in a space where you are well with whatever comes because you radiate who your mother is and you you are a wonderful example of her passing a certain sensitivity and a certain knowledge set on but you know it's one of those things where we have to be prayerful and we have to be prayerful to accept whatever the way goes, whatever the will of God is. And Thank that's a sobering thing. I am in a position now where I have a cousin who is not quite a year younger than me, who had a massive stroke. Mm. And he is in Alabama in a vegetative state. And his sister and father, my cousin and uncle, have to make the decision of when to remove him from the ventilators and respirators that are keeping him alive. But I say, so I say that to you saying, you know, we're moving in spaces where we're experiencing physical crisis in our loved ones, but we have to steady ourselves and be prepared for whatever tomorrow brings, be it, you know, one way or the other, we have to be strong in the best sense of the word and be prepared to contend with what tomorrow brings. But I will certainly keep you and especially your mother in prayer. She sounds like a wonderful person. And I have no doubt that I probably would be very fond of her if I had the chance to meet her. Dr. Roberta Vogel. Yes. You love her. She, she, yeah. Yeah. We'll be think we'll be thinking about you. We'll be thinking about you, Dwayne. Thank you. You said Mount Sinai. Yeah, she's in Mount Sinai, and she's going to be having heart surgery tomorrow. Isn't that that's is that by Columbia University? It's down in New York, and uh, I don't know. I have to go there tomorrow. No problem. Thank you. 
Thanks so much, Dwayne. Um, let's bring in Anthony, and then we'll go to Joy, and then Case. What's up, uh, Anthony? Hey, not much. Good evening. Wow, I was just listening to all that from uh, Dwayne. I'm so not sorry, actually. I'm well, happy to, I guess, hear you know whatever that if there's a medical problem, it can be treated hopefully. And they got steady hands. I hope definitely at the hospital. And I think it's really good that you're going to be there. That'll be good. You know, absolutely. Yeah, I have to. I have to be there. Yeah, yeah. That, that always helps too. That's great. Yeah, because I've seen people, and you guys will, I mean, I'm sure you probably would believe it, but I never would have believed it at that point. But, like, when I worked at the skilled nursing facility, like, there were people that had basically lived there for years, and, like, their family members lived right in Columbia, South Carolina, and, like, they wouldn't even come and visit them. And I just, I couldn't understand that. I, I really, like, that was really just weird to me. Like, I'm like, these are your parents. Like, they... <laughs> like raised you you know and so like they would have like operations and stuff every now and then and it's like like just no family no nobody nobody there you know so it's it's great that you're gonna be there with your mom thank you i will be i have to be there yep christmas miracles there you go she's the most important person in my life i mean she really shaped me in terms of my morality and my my intellectual growth, she made me who I am. So I, you know, I just want everybody to know that if not for her, um, I wouldn't be who I am. And she was an amazing person. She is an amazing. I'm talking about her in the past tense, like I'm afraid she's gonna go. I'm. Uh, she's an amazing person. She really, really is. Hang in there, Dwayne. Thank you, Savvy. Appreciate it. Everything's gonna be all right. I hope so. Thank you. She's gonna be okay. I hope so, Roger. Thank you. I know that feeling. Like um, my mom, a couple years ago, my mom had to have brain surgery, so I know that feeling. Wow, yeah, horrible feeling. Really is. You had you you was Sabrina. You had a health emergency that was, you know, uh, 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 you know scary well it wasn't it wasn't an emergency it was just i mean i knew i had to have the surgery right back in september like i i that's when i was told but i just but it just seems that everyone is is like around this time going through something you know what i mean like just like i had told you uh that my nephew had a had a heart attack and he's still in the hospital um you know, luckily his wife was 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 there with him. He he just had a stent put in him. You know, uh, you know my brother freaking ended up. Uh, uh, I don't I don't know if he's still in jail, but you know he had an altercation with somebody. You know, just a few days ago, altercation with somebody at, at the church he was with. He, you know, it, you know my brother's crazy. He went home got his gun, came back, was going to kill the dude, thought about it. He called the deacon out and, you know, to talk to, you know, to let the deacon know what was up or whatever. And, you know, I guess deacon talked him out of it. He handed the deacon the gun and the deacon ratted him out to the police. 
and now he's in jail. So it's it's like it seems like everybody's like I don't know what it is about this end of the year, but hopefully in the next couple of weeks it'll be a, a new year and a, you know and something you know sometimes they say it's darkest before the light. Yeah. So I, you know things are coming in 2024. Um I can't say the same for uh you know our president, but I think good things are I think good things are coming in 2024. I think we we always have to try to to be positive like even when things look grim, you know. Uh anything else Anthony? Oh yeah, I was just Shit, thinking after all that, it's like the politics seems petty. But uh, I just don't think that Trump off the ballot, I don't think that it's going to work out for them. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Thanks. Thank you so much. Okay, let's bring in Case, the Case Study QB, and then we'll bring in um, Eric. What's up, Case? You just got to unmute. What's going on, family? My man, Dwayne, much love to you and your family, your your mother. I Thanks, Case. Pray for safe surgery and for Thank long you. life. 85 years, is a, that's a beautiful, uh, long, a, a lot of uh, knowledge there. Thank I, you. I definitely would have a lot of questions to ask your mom about oh, yeah. Panthers, and I would love to pick her brain on a lot of that Uh I mean, she met MLK. She shook his hand. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, yeah, definitely a, a lot of love to you, my Thank man. You. Um, yes, uh, sad. I just want to uh, some things that uh, some highlights from the last day was watching Bree and Alan go at it, and I know that you uh, talked about baby. It. Didn't she oh, pluck man. his nerves? Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. cover that. I'm covering that Friday night because that was lit. Because Alan Dershowitz is a clown. I still remember what he said to Kim Iverson when she interviewed him and was just like, if I knew you were gonna I won't do this yeah. again. I won't do this again if I knew you were gonna ask these questions. I'm like <laughs> <laughs> And if you Kim noticed, was like I told them they were um, blocking his mic a number of times because you could see his lips moving as Bree oh. was talking. Yep. Because he was attempting to talk over her. And then he said, you asked me a question and you're dominating this conversation. I was like, ooh, he is coming apart at the seams. <laughs> but, let me, but let me tell you something, okay? Because see, I, I pay attention. He didn't do that shit to Kim. He said he wouldn't come back on there again. But when Kim was talking, he let her speak. Mm -hmm. And this is another thing I've noticed, and I've said this before. The way that people speak to, not everybody, but the way that some people speak to Black women in this space, with such disrespect. Mm -hmm. I know it, it probably takes Brie everything that she has in her to stay calm and to stay on course. Because mm -hmm. the moment you raise your voice, then it's your, you get the angry black woman thing, just like Sam Cedar did towards Breonna Joy Gray when they had that debate. Yeah. Afterwards, he was like, she came at me all angry and tried to make himself seem like a victim. So yeah. the thing is, is that the way that he reacted, she could never react that way. But if there's anybody that's mastered that um, trying to stay calm, it's definitely Bree and 
she gets a lot of exercise sitting next to her co-host um uh, Robbie, <laughs> she gets a lot of practice with that guy because I've seen yeah. it plenty of times. She just goes into that like she could be uh, have a very high energy, and then once Robbie like pisses her off, she has to pull back. She brings down the voice. Well, now, like Sabi likes to call them the couple. <laughs> <laughs> but no, because uh, it's like the, the but the thing is, is like again, even when Robbie like yelled at her that time, the way that he did. Like yeah. I said, it could never be the other way around, though. And the one time, the, thing. He, the he one thing I oh, appreciate ahead, about her is she, when when these people get unhinged with her, her voice goes into a different register, yeah. and she holds firm, and she, with as much precision and grace as she can muster, continues yeah. to make the case. As if to say, oh, you will not derail me here. Yep. And, you know, and she did it the same way with that Lisa chick. Yes. And I, I you, you can sense there is a portion of these people that are responding to who she is. But she keeps it high level and she makes the point. And I mean, today she had Dershowitz coming apart at the seams because she was using information and fact based to get him. And I love the way when Robbie tries to pipe in, she said, oh, wait a minute, Robbie. Mm -hmm. I'm like, ooh, child, you put him back in his box and you carry on. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. But Bri you have, to, you have to do that. Like, and it's, it's tough. Like, it's tough. Like when you're a female and you're having to like have these conversations with people or debate people, it's tough because you have to try to maintain your composure because the first thing people will say is that you're getting emotional. And at the same time, if add that extra layer to it, if you're a black woman, then you're not just emotional, but you're the angry black woman. So you have to maintain like your composure. And meanwhile, the white counterpart can talk to you any way that they want to. And I, I hope people see this for what this really is. I hope people this really like resonates with people because I watched Jink Uger scream at her. I've watched obviously Alan Dershowitz, that Lisa woman. I've watched Sam Cedar like go off the rails and stuff like that. And like notice how people are more willing to accept it when it's coming from someone who's white versus when it's coming from someone who's black. Well, there's also the part with the, when you brought up the Kim Iverson thing that she, they, she didn't basically go off on her. Well, there's the part that, the, in China, they hate the fact when white men are marrying Asian women because they're exotic. So there could be that thing about about um, Kim Iverson that she's part, she's half white, but she's Asian. So she's got that double factor. That's probably why they tend to see Asian women as you know de facto white in a sense. Right, like it, they're white adjacent. Yes. Right. Um, oh, yeah. were you finished, Kay? Oh, Sorry. No, 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 no problem. We having fun with this topic, and I believe it was Noel that that brought this up uh, just now in this calling. But um, the part that I, I I like that she caught him. She caught Alan on the spot. She's like, so Alan, can you tell me exactly when did the pro-Palestinian protest call for the end of the Jewish or the Israel state? And she's like, mm -hmm. he's like, eventually he came to the point where he said, oh, I saw a sign and somebody said, clean Israel. <laughs> Something like that. Yep. Like, oh, so that's what it was. Okay, I got you. What you thought about that, Noel? <laughs> you know what? It 
<laughs> it was so interesting because he said, you know, I saw this sign that said, clean all the vile, Lord, um, the lights from the river to the sea out of Palestine. And she was like, hold on, professor. Can you cite me where you actually saw a sign? And he was like, well, no, you know the language when they say clean. She was like, oh, so I hear you to be reading into it from the language. Well, if you're black and if you saw a sign that said this and that, you'd be. And she was like, oh, but Professor Dershowitz, blah, blah, blah. And she was asking for a specific point. And that's when he got unrattled because because he's he's not used to being held to that level of accountability. Also, he didn't didn't see that shit, Noel. He didn't see it. And it was that he didn't see it because when she challenged him on it, he backed up off it and was saying he saw clean, but it wasn't the language he had just previously said, clean the filthy Israelites from the river to the sea in Palestine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but when you come with the import that he does being, you know, a Harvard professor and he's this, you know, legal scholar and all of this stuff and he's so knowledgeable, people can easily be intimidated. But he clearly talks all over the place. Yeah. And again, even in that, that exchange with Bree, she made it clear that there is language that is, you know, available as a part of public records of what these Israeli officials are saying it's yep. not just what we're saying oh we we can speculate from what we see that their intention is to eradicate all of the civilian population and they're using Hamas as a guise or a scapegoat in that we hear them saying the language and that is difficult for someone who's Zionist or pro-Israel to come across and try and defend it. And I believe that's what's a part of what's helping turn the tide in terms of this narrative. But she did an excellent job of not being distracted and holding his feet to the fire. And you could tell he was not used to that. And he was angry about that. But, you know, and then the way he disparaged Norm Finkelstein. And I was so glad that Bree had the composure mm-hmm. to come back and say, oh, no, I think he's a scholar and he's a professor and he's, you know, this, that and a third. I'm like, man, who are you to be disparaging people like that? You are not God. Yeah. He, was yeah. also, he was also hanging out with Epstein, too. OK, let's and all was. not forget who Alan Dershowitz Ooh. really is. That, that's the thing, too, on that list. He probably is on that list. Because when they asked him the question, he pretends like he did. He, he wasn't on that list. He 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 said, "I I, I was there, but I did. I wasn't there on that plane." But I'm like, <laughs> and then <laughs> he on. told he told Kim he told Kim Iverson he was like, "Well, yeah, I mean, I, I I went to the the island. I got a massage, but it wasn't by anyone underage. It was an an older woman." And what I told Kim, because Kim came on after that, I told Kim, I said, "What was funny about that exchange is that you never once insinuated." that it was an underage mm. female. Right. So 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 he knows exactly. He's basically a pedo himself. It's kinda it's fucked up though. And uh, as for Dershowitz, when he was on uh Pierce Morgan's show, man, what a fucking shithead. Pierce Morgan has this weird shit where he brings up right wingers and he lets right wingers talk shit about the guest and it gives them all the leeway to shit on them. And then on the guest itself, like the guest, he basically pummels the guest. So do you condemn Hamas? Do you condemn Hamas? And when he when he was there with Dershowitz, 
Dershowitz was praising. He was eating like fuck. He was eating like fucking Pierce's dick in his mouth. Oh yes, you are so good, Pierce. You are the greatest guest I've ever had. It's just Dersh. It's just uh, Finkelstein is just a bad person. He's a liar. He's this and that. I'm like, bro, you really tried to destroy this guy's reputation when you have no reputation yourself. You're just a a bootleg of the highest degree for Israel. You might as well he, he consider has- yourself. A, a fucking Israel lobby, just uh, a person who works for the Israel lobby. Just call yourself a what? What's the word they they said? Uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who got um, uh, what's his name? Is it's the guy that basically was he was arrested for the Trump thing? Uh, forgot his name. He he was working for another country. He tried to basically make some deals. Manafort, that's it. Manafort. Oh yeah, and, Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort. Like Manafort. he, he should have just called himself an agent for the Mossad or basically APAC. A foreign agent. Yep. That's what Alan Dershowitz says. All these Zionists are all—they're all that for Israel. Let's let um let's let Case finish so I can bring in Eric. Go ahead, Case. Yeah, yeah. So the the last I just want to um say two quick things. Um, the second thing is um something that I want to clip from Ryan Grimm's book also was a part where he talked about um Frost. So we know the story about how Frost used to be a Palestinian activist, and then once he ran, he changed up, right? In the book, he talks about how um, Richie Torres, who we know is basically he's a Zionist who fakes to be being a progressive. Um, Richie Torres used the fact that he was Latino and also um, uh, um, Frost is Latino. And they use he used that as a way to reach out to him. And I believe he was the one to convince him to change his policy on on Palestine. So I'm going to try to find that, clip that. And then the last thing I'm going to say is I just clipped fresh off the press um, from uh, uh, what's it, he's from the last word. Or, uh, no, he was filling in for the last word. Ali Volshi. There was a little clip where he, he talked about this new Poland in Gaza where they're saying, what's the best strategy to secure an independent state and, and Israel's occupation? 63% say armed struggle is the best strategy. So if they thought that they could bomb people into resistance or into liking them, that into submission, making them more radical. So for, that's the last thing. Right, because, ahead, because, because that's the thing. Like, as long, the longer this continues and the more uh, civilians in Palestine that they kill, the mm. more you're just, you're actually, you want to, if they're trying to get rid of Hamas, you're just actually creating more people to be a part of Hamas. They're yeah, radicalizing Palestinians is what they're ex- doing. Exactly, because that's the thing. Because the thing is, is that, and also, how did they get a fucking poll when like half the population that's there right now is starving, according to the UN? Mm-hmm. So how did they have time to get a poll? It's in the um, the article. NBC News has an article, and then Ali Boshi mentioned it. So I'm sure it's within the article who did who conducted the actual poll. I can't think of it right now, but. Um, it's probably, it might be in the clip or is it is in the article. If you find that clip, I'll DM it with, to you. Um, if you find that clip with um the, from Ryan Grimm's book, if you oh. can DM it to me because about the Richie Torres thing. Oh, okay, okay. Because tomorrow night I I just got sent this. Um, apparently there was a confrontation, um, against Richie Torres, mm-hmm. and apparently I guess um. The person who sent it to me from Bronx, from the Bronx Greens, mm. she said that Katie, Katie Halper was there too. Oh, wow. So I saw some of the clips so far from Indie News Network on Twitter. Okay. So um, if you find that, DM that to me 
Because I'm going to have to talk about Richie Torres again tomorrow night. We're going to have to put him on blast again. Okay. After the call-in show, I'll I'll look for it. I'll clip it, and then I'll DM it to you, buddy. So much love. Go ahead. Okay, so I just okay. I get, uh, I'm getting what you said. So the poll wasn't from the MSNBC. It was basically the people in Gaza. Um, it, they they poll got got pe- the people in Gaza. Yeah. Okay, I thought they said they pulled the MSNBC people because I was like, okay, oh, no, 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 MSNBC. I don't you're the getting pro Hamas right now. No, 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 no. <laughs> the okay, people in Gaza in, um... have no power. They have no phones. They have no nothing. How are they going to poll those people? That's what I was wondering too. Let's bring in Eric. What's up, Eric? Just go ahead and. Hey, Savvy, how you guys doing? I've been listening. Doing great. How are you? Good. I, you know, I was on earlier, but then I did something. I always end up doing something, and it took me back to the back of the queue. So I, oh, no. I don't know. What, but that's all good. It's all good. And uh, you know, uh, peace to Dwayne and his mom. And I hope you. you know that she will be fine. And uh, thanks for sharing, you know, good thoughts and the things that she's inspired you. Thank you. you know, I know my mom has inspired me, too. <clears throat> and so I know, uh, you know, I I wish you the best with you and your mom thank and you. spend time with her, man. So thank, thank you, you for sharing that. Sure. Uh, oh, you know, and I was going to talk about a few different things there. There's so much to talk. You know, at the beginning of, the, of when I first called, I'm like, OK, maybe I'm going to get to talk about Biggie. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of went a different way. Yeah, I, t- I told Roger. I said, Roger, I said you missed all the stuff about Diddy and everything. So you know that's why the show is so so uh, dynamic. But you know, like I I've been listening to the Biggie stories for so long, and also the Tupac stories. I know that Tupac, unfortunately, he got you know he basically got done in by Orlando because uh and the and the, the other guys that were in the car with with Kiffy D and I think the other uh Orlando got killed uh in a shootout but there's there's a there's a police officer from or an investigator detective guy from LA uh Keith Herring or something like that who actually was the one that got Kiffy D to admit on tape you know what had happened but but it's much you know it's much more simpler there's some circumstances behind what happened with Keefe D and, and the Crips that um, that P Diddy was was kind of you know leveraging at the time, but essentially Tupac got killed because they jumped that guy, and the guy that they jumped was a real a real guy from the streets who was not going to let that go. And then the circumstances behind what happened was uh, apparently uh, P Diddy had put out you know this contract. But it had never been had never been materialized. There was no money that he ever exchanged with Kiffy D directly or anything like that. The point is that unfortunately Tupac took to the streets and beat up this guy, you know, at that at that uh, casino after the Tyson fight, and they came after him, and it was just you know some coincidence. But you know they make it out to be more of a conspiracy. I think it's he beat up the guy. The guy was really from the streets. He was not going to let it go, and they came at him, and they shot him. Uh, and that was unfortunate. With, with Biggie, it's a little bit different with Biggie because uh, one of the guys who actually over the years was kept a very consistent story is this guy named Gene Deal, and Gene Deal was the, the the head of security or one of the security guys for for uh, uh, for Bad Boy. And he would provide security for both, uh, you know, Biggie and Diddy. And he tells the story that he's been telling for more since since he died, since this happened. This guy named Gene Deal has been telling the same story 
And essentially, P. Diddy did not really care. You know, he did not care for the well-being at the time when this happened to big to to uh, to B.I.G. in L.A. Uh, and essentially let him go to this party that they should have never went to because they knew that people were going to be coming at them at that party. And exactly that night, you know, they got calls like, don't go to that party, don't go there. And then, you know, he ended up getting shot. And Diddy didn't care. Uh, and now I think this, this gentleman, Gene Deal, who's still telling the same story, has elaborated more into it. And he's also elaborated for years, not recently, but for years, of Diddy's doings, the way he would do women, the funny things that he would do with, you know, the, 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 like the, I don't know, sexual parties that they were having. And Gene Deal has been telling the stories for more than 10 years. And, you know, now all of this is coming to light, which is, you know, it's interesting. It's unfortunate because we lost Tupac, who I think would have been, you know, he, I think he would have changed more, more things for the better had he been around just because of the way his mind was. And, and just from listening to everybody, you know, he was such a revolutionary guy, uh, you know, with his mom uh, being in the Panthers, the Black Panthers. And just he was it seems like he was a really sophisticated, very complicated artist. But he wanted mm -hmm. the best for people in general. So, uh, and, you know, and then what was I going to talk about? What else? Uh, you guys were talking about uh, Dershowitz, who's a scumbag. Uh, I, I really don't like that guy, you know, especially, you know, I, he talks about that he got a massage from an older person. Get the hell out of here. He was, <laughs> he, was he was at that island. There's, there, why would you go to a, why would you go to a remote island? to go get a massage from an older person. No, no, dude, you could have got that wherever you live. You went there to do something dirty. And, and that's why you were going to an island with this guy who everybody knows was running a ring of underage people, women, and they were doing bad things. And more than likely, everything that we've been hearing for years now, he was blackmailing with whatever evidence he had on all these people because he, he was running around the highest of the highest, meaning, you know, presidents of the United States, prince from the UK, actors, the, the top billionaires in the world, or some of those ones that, that we know about, you know, from uh, uh, Bill Gates and so on. There was something that this guy was doing, and more than likely, it had to do with what he, ha he was able to put together these people with a lot of money and power in a place where they could do whatever they wanted to do offshore in an island with people underage and then he would blackmail them to me that makes sense you know i think so too and I, I feel the same way too i'm like come on like you mean there's no way like you didn't know anything like i i just i don't know i, I find it hard to believe um and again the fact that alan dershowitz can still just show up in these spaces any of these these people that were on this island i'm not talking about the people that flew on a plane and never went there but or the people that talked to him at one point, but any of these people that freaking were on that island, like <clears throat> they, none of these, these people just, just walk around with so much freedom, no accountability. Like I'm just, so we're supposed to sit back and believe that none of you did anything. Some of you did something. Otherwise there wouldn't have been a client list. That's right. It, you know, and in jail, the way that this guy was killed, it was a hit. You know, the, the, the cameras are off. The cops don't know what happened. No, they, they, they hit him. They got him. 
and and that's very easy to do in jail. I mean, it doesn't mm -hmm. take a lot to, to, to get somebody in jail if you have access to the people who are running the jail and you know who the hitters are, the people that are going to take other people out. That's not difficult at all. No, it, it is not. You know, no, so it that, is not. It, that happens every single day. Oh, you know, like it's happening right now. There's somebody that's, you know, and so this guy was gotten to because of that. Period. You know, that's if, if they didn't, if, if the if the people in power didn't want him to get hit, they would have put him in, in, a, in a cell where he was going to be by himself. There's ways to put somebody in jail. So so you minimize the risk of, of them getting killed. So that's notice, so. notice how Chris Cuomo said it's a conspiracy that he didn't really actually kill himself. And I'm like. First of all, Chris Cuomo, you should be the last person on News Nation covering this type of story, considering the fact that you have been accused of sexual harassment from coworkers, which you admitted to. Your brother has been accused of sexual harassment. You really should not be touching this story at all. Don't y'all think it's it's kind of interesting? This goes to show you again, like when people say like race isn't an issue. No, fuck that. Notice how Chris Cuomo, white man, publicly embarrassed about sexual harassment, admitted to it, got fired from CNN. Notice how just like that, he was able to start his own podcast, which is on yeah. YouTube. And yeah. then after that, he got he was able to get a, a job with News Nation as if nothing fucking happened. But let me tell you something really quickly. If Chris Cuomo would have been a black man, that shit would have never happened. Of course. Yeah. He's that happy, but he he sued CNN afterwards. Get the rest of his money. The well, the contract, mean? yeah, it's because of his contract, I guess. That's why. But yeah, would you be surprised if uh, one of the Cuomos were on that list? Oh, I mean, no. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see who is on the list. I I'm even interested to see why they're letting the list come out. There's always a reason why they would let something out like that. I'm telling uh, you, I think it's because of the Diddy stuff. I'm really telling you, I think it's because when this whole thing came, I remember the Diddy thing came out before this. And so, and then they were like, okay, well, Cassie made a settlement with P Diddy. And they're like, nope, she dropped documents off for the F to, for, to the feds. So this is going forward. So the thing is, I really think some of these people are connected. Like I wouldn't be surprised if TD Jakes has a connection, had a connection to Jeffrey Epstein. TD Jakes was rich, you guys. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. He actually, yeah, he founded the Potter house, um, which is a huge mega church in Dallas. So yeah, very well known. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm pretty you sure the hear where the, the um when Linda was t was it Linda or was it your coverage savvy where the um, man was saying that um with respect to Puff that T D Jakes had a that used the young man as a sloppy top. Oh, that was yes. my that was my show. Yeah, that was your show. Yeah. And I'm thinking, does that make are we to understand that T.D. Jakes is a bottom? Yeah, he's called. A, no, he's called a power bottom. That's why power bottom was trending on Twitter. <laughs> That's serious. That, it was trending on Twitter because of him. Miss thing. Hmm. Power yeah, bottom. I'm wondering if the whole book thing. Um, well, I, I'm pretty sure the, the DD one will come out. 
because it's a black woman versus a black man. But the whole dirt, the the, um, the black book from Epstein, I'm pretty sure it's gonna it's gonna disappear. I don't think Cassie is black. She's not. She's mul- well. She's multiracial. Yeah. Okay. And I, I also yeah. wanted to talk about who's what's the name of the guy? The guy that that was really got skinny, but was really really overweight before. Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton. So, you know, like if you go back through his history and the one, the one caller was talking about, you know, how he was, he was, uh, you know, talking bad about Whitney and whatnot. But if you go back through his history, this guy was an opportunist the whole time. And, and I remember, I mean, to me, when, when, when I first saw him in the early 80s, whenever it was, I could tell that he was an opportunist and that he was kind of full of crap. But it was a time when I think he started, you know, when I when it kind of made me change how I looked at him a little bit was when he came out for the for the uh, what is it for the Park Five? What are the, the guys that got uh, falsely accused for, um, you know, raping a, a woman in Central in, uh, Park Five? Yeah. Yeah. That's when it kind of changed me a little bit where I was like, OK, he was to on a brawly before then. Yeah, that was a fraud. And so so, you know, what he's done is he's been very much an opportunist in new york with the media and he's known how to put himself into positions of of opportunities and he was around many of the people that came into power and and i've listened to shows where uh people from those from the day from before all this talk about him being you know a shyster a a schemer kind of guy the guy that was kind of doing low-level crime if you will so that's where he comes from he's not anything other than that but the media has used him because of his color because he did these things that are associated with good things for people of color and now they leverage him whenever they want to put something out there and he sort of just backs them you know but he's really a fraud and doesn't really do anything to help people Uh, he's just looking out for himself so I don't know if you remember, but the uh, there was the crown the the crown heights riots where uh, Hasidim were fighting against black people about civil rights because there was like lots of uh, uh, inter you know there was lots of strife between black people and Jewish people in New York in Brooklyn, and he inserted himself there, and yeah. he was but he was part of the he really began with the Tawana Brawley uh, problem. Yeah there with where where he he but it was always regarded he was always regarded as like a person who was trying to profit from the yeah. strife between black people and jewish people in new york but when, when was it do you, do you remember yusuf hawkins yes yusuf when, hawkins yep yeah. absolutely yes oh, by the way eric um there, there's also the tv show you remember the boondocks yeah uh, there was this interview. I think forgot what I think it was some forgot what TV sh- uh, what YouTube channel was watching. It's a up to black owned uh, media. They had the one of the co co creators of the boot not co creators. He was the artist on the Boondocks, maybe a co creator. They were talking about how when they tried to do all their Boondocks episodes, they talked about how Al Sharpton. Uh, he he got into it. He tried to sue them on a, over an episode that was going to come out. And he wanted to get ahead of it because the people, some people were getting mad about the boondocks, how they didn't like how the boondocks was going around. And he wanted to get over, he wanted to get a heads up, trash the people <laughs> doing the boondocks first. Yeah. And then he would then bring them along and they would say, Oh, we saw Jesus, blah, blah, blah. 
so we're not going to be going all raunchy on our show. And the people that were there, the writers said, no, we're going to fucking go with it anyways. And uh, he said he would sue them, but he never did. You know, and then then just, you know, talking about Yusuf Hawkins, you know, a lot of, you know, when I was younger, many of the things that I would learn came through music of the times, you know, basically hip hop. And, And that doesn't happen in the same way with the music today. But I can tell you that, you know, as a young person, I still, you know, talk to to my my friends of of those times that from those times, many of the musicians, you know, rappers or whatever, MCs, they were talking about good things to better themselves. Uh, You know, of of course, they had a street street edge to them, but they're always talking about how to become better. And they would talk about different topics. And at least for me, you know, growing up as a young person, that affected me because it would make me think about, oh, yeah, you know, this is this, this is that in a positive way where I don't think we have that anymore. <clears throat> and in those days, me growing up, you know, looking up to like whether it was Public Enemy, Brad Nubian, you know, a number of, of rap groups from, 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 from the East Coast or even here, you know, in the West Coast, uh, it really made us think about, OK, here are the possibilities. Not saying that they were perfect, but there was a positivity behind these people that many of the young people that I ran with that we either looked up to or we wanted to emulate. Boogie Down Productions. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all of those guys. And today it doesn't exist. That doesn't that doesn't exist. And that also creates uh, a negative, uh, you know, I don't know what you call it, but it's not, you know, as positive as it was for me back then. And and they also, you know, they would even talk about many subjects, you know, whether it was public enemy talking about racism or or uh, uh, what's the other one? I can't remember. Uh, X-Clan? Not, not so much X-Clan. I wasn't really too much into them, but a poor, poor Righteous Teachers. Oh, I love know, them. Yeah, PRT. Yeah, PRT is my favorite band for a long time. Favorite hip-hop group for forever. Uh, I Lockheed. love them. Trenton, New Jersey. Lakeem Shabazz, you know? Yeah. You know, these, oh, you remember Lakeem Shabazz? Yeah, yeah, I love that guy. <laughs> yeah, so, so you know, just saying that there was this positivity with all this music growing up, and e- even if you were poor like me, you know, I didn't have much, but there was this hope of like, man, these guys are smart, and they were smart. And, you know, and today's artists are smart too. I don't think they're not smart, but it's just what sells today is not something positive for, you know, people. But that's by design. Like, yeah, yeah. What you're speaking to, it's all by design because the industry, like, you're speaking of a time in hip-hop where this was before it was, like, commercialized, right? Where you even, you still had, like, even, like, independent labels. Maybe you had artists who were able to be innovative in that way where they were able to put forth a message that was more, maybe just accurate in a reflection of, like, they weren't glorifying, like, violence. They weren't glorifying all, yeah, like, sure. the negative, like, excuse my language, but fuckery that you yeah. now see was happening in hip-hop. Knowledge, exactly. Yeah. I can address all of that um, about hip hop, about Reverend Al, but I, I want to address uh, with Case first. What you was talking about when um, what's the guy from Florida again? Max, what was his name? Frost. Max Frost. Maxwell Frost. Um, Frost. Right. So the way 
um, the way I've heard it was um, the way that Richie Torres was able to get Max Frost to sell out was through rent. Because to live in DC, the rent is too damn high. And you need to have like the hookup or something to be able to live there. Okay. So that's how, um, from what I understand, Richie got had him by the cojones. No, but he knew exactly. No, but that's what I heard. But that doesn't make sense because I covered a story a couple months ago about Maxwell Frost not being able to get an apartment in DC because he didn't have the credit score. Yeah, yeah, that's there you go. That's there you go. That, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I might have gotten a couple of things wrong, but But he but yeah. he he sold out. He changed his he sold out and changed his position before he won. Um, I think right, 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 at, right but, at the end, right before he won, I think. Yeah. Right. But I but I think that 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 the the credit score thing played into it and I think Richie had a way of getting him some type of hookup. Yeah, that's right cuz I think that played into it also is what I'm saying, Case. Um, oh, uh, get the call. <laughs> I just thought, um, since we're on the topic real quick, I thought it was so interesting um, in the book, it talks about how the different candidates who were running were kind of monitoring each other's race to see how they were being attacked. So like um, Lee, Summer Lee was kind of monitoring. She, she saw how Nina Turner lost her race so she knew like okay they had to be strategic with her particular race in a certain ways and they were hoping that APAC didn't jump in and it is that's but one APAC, go ahead but APAC did jump in against Summer Lee but Summer Lee still won yeah yeah it did but my point is how she was just monitoring and um, they, they were bracing themselves for when it did happen it's, it's very interesting the strategy um, that was mentioned in the book. And, and you know, what, what to me, what's really idiotic about a lot of the, both the, the guys on the left and the right, but you know, more so on the, on the Democratic side, is that there is a winning model already in place for someone who could be on the left side and on the side of people. Not saying that it's easy, but Kashama Sawant's model, you know, not standing up for what you believe, creating a basis of, of, of a group of uh, a really good foundation of followers or supporters around you that are going to support you both financially and when you have to go to vote. She's put that model out there for 10 years. It's there for, it's there for, you know, uh, to follow that model and even go, you know, approach her to get taught on how to do it. Uh, and, and, but these idiots on, especially, you know, on the democratic side, Still, they they still want to do this idiotic things where they end up selling out. They end up doing the same stuff over and over, and many of them don't even succeed. Like Nina Turner, you know, if Nina would have been more smart, she would have been calling Kashama Sawan and said, "Hey, how do I do this? I got some money. Mm. What do I do?" But they they never think of that. You know, they they can't Good be point. creative. Um, Shama Shama said that she was supposed to appear on TYT on Nina Turner's show to talk about Workers' Strike Back. And when they realized who it was, they said, no, we're not going to do this interview. That's crazy. I remember you mentioned that before, which is crazy. And she, said, she, said it, she said it in an interview on RBN. 
What's sad about that is Nina Turner was supposed to go on MSNBC and somebody um, canceled it. It was supposed to be on that show um, that is canceled now on the weekends that the other black lady that's cool with um, with Joy and Reed. Well, I can't remember her name now. Cross. Cross. Laura? Is it not Laura Cross? It's something Cross. Tiffany cross Tiffany Cross. Thank you. Thank you. She was supposed to go on <laughs> Tiffany Cross. <laughs> Professor Black and, yeah, and, and then it, um, she, for some reason, she didn't show up, which I, I'm assuming somebody um, put the kibosh on that as well. So it's like it happened to, I don't know who who happened to who first, but it's it's just sad that it happens, period, I think. Yeah. But, but, you know, but, but, but you know, I guess what I'm saying, Savvy, is that these guys are not very creative, man. They, they, they are very... Uh, you know, the way they think is there's a model out there to, so where you can both help people and put yourself in a way that you're going to su- be successful. It's there for the taking if you really wanted to do it. But instead, they want to keep following the same idiotic pattern and they don't help anybody but themselves. And they end up selling out. I, I would think, you know, I, I would hate to want to sell out to the point where I lose myself. Mm-hmm. Um you know, but they, these guys end up doing it over and over. So it's sad because Ralph Nader also said, I believe she, he was being interviewed by Brianna Joy Gray, and he said he reached out to the squad many, many times. This guy has the blueprint on activism from the outside and the inside. This guy writes the book on. He used to have the Raider Naders back in the day. He helped bring us the seatbelt. Like this guy is the living, breathing potential of how to in congress and he wanted to desperately reach out to them is that you is that case talking yeah but but what i was trying but that's what i was trying to say last time which is that when Mm -hmm. aoc said she didn't have any help that's what i was trying to hint towards is that there were people who did offer to help the squad just didn't want to respond to them and didn't talk to them yeah and and i think that's because their handlers or whoever they're they're you know they're supporting cast that they were the ones who didn't want to let them do this. I, you know, and that's something I never fully understand how that works, Savvy. And I don't know if somebody here on the call, maybe you know more about it, Savvy. How is it that these people, you know, they win the, they win the chair, they win their, their seat or whatever. And then they have these people around them that are telling them what to do. How, how does that work? You know, like, why do they let these people tell them what to do? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but the decision still comes from the politician. So like, for example, when I interviewed Rokana, Yes, I contacted his his staff member to book the appointment, but Rokana had to sign off on it. It wasn't like okay. the staffer was the one that made the decision and said, "Okay, let's do this interview." Da da da. No, Rokana had to agree to it. That's the I thing. See. So what I'm saying is that the squad members did not agree to any of those any of those options for people to help them. They just like they don't agree to do any of these interviews on independent media, even even towards the outlets, the independent media outlets who were still defending them for a long time. They still wouldn't go on. They still wouldn't go on to like TYT for all. And to even when TYT was still defending them, they still would not go on. That's what I'm saying. So you have a handler, but you have to sign off on what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Got it. And you, you know what's oh. funny? Today I, I caught a clip of Alex Jones on another podcast 
and it just came through my stream, you know, so I watched it. But it was interesting because, you know, and he's 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 an interesting character, that guy, Alex Jones. But he, he was talking about how, you know, essentially some of the things that we talk about, how Trump, everything that they're doing to Trump is backfiring and is, is actually on the on the polls. Any everything that they're doing to go against them just keeps bringing up his profile and his support for him. But then he was also saying that, you know, that it's highly unlikely that, that you know, they're, they're going to want to take him out before he gets to, to, you know, before we get to actually vote because they don't want him to win. The powers that be don't want him to win. But, and it, it, I mean, some of the stuff that he says is kind of out there. But, but you know, it was interesting to hear what he was saying because even I thought about it, you know, like, yeah, they, they, they want to take this guy out because they're doing everything they can. To, to not let him run. Well, Nick has a theory that he might be a psyop by the uh, CIA, FBI. You, you're talking about uh, Alex? Yeah, Alex, yeah. Nick Nick from RBN. Uh, he could be. I, I couldn't um, say. The guy's pretty, he's pretty I crazy. Think so. I think so, too. Um, because I'm sorry, but how is it everybody else gets a redeeming chance except for people on the left? Garland Nixon is still locked out of his Twitter account, you guys. You guys cannot let this go. I'm sorry. Alex Jones can come back. Trump can come back. Elon is basically doing the opposite of what happened before him, which is he is basically now elevating right-wing voices and suppressing the left voices. And yeah. that's a fucking problem. Everybody should be elevated. You should not be suppressing one side over the other. And so think about the people. This guy, Mario. Mario right. Nepal on Twitter. Mm-hmm. who I, I follow him he he follows me yeah guys i've been told multiple times like he hosts these twitter spaces that have hundreds thousands of people in them i've been told multiple times that half of his followers like these people aren't real i've been told that these are fake accounts and he is promoted and pushed by elon musk who That's is that guy told, that he came out of nowhere this is what i'm trying to tell you guys oh, i never there heard of accounts. him Go on Twitter and type in Mario, Mario. Knuffle, N-A-W-F-A-L, okay. and you'll see it. And it's not just him. It's all the other ones. Um, a lot of the other ones that are supporting either RFK or that are like Trump supporters, he is elevating those accounts. Like, I'm trying to tell you guys, these accounts came out of nowhere or they did not have a large following. And then all of a sudden, boom, they have millions of followers. So that came that came from Elon. So Elon is like I said, he's still not pro free speech, and he's also showing favoritism to certain accounts. If you're against DEI, mm-hmm. diversity, um, equity, and inclusion, inclusion, if you're against that, which a lot of, they're all against that. Mm-hmm. If you are a tech bro, yeah, if you are uh, a pro free speech person. But we're I'm a pro free speech person, yeah. but I'm on the left. Right. So people like me and Bree and stuff like that, like Bree is still gets more, gets platform more than I do. But right. what I'm saying is still, she's still suppressed when you compare her to the right wing voices that Elon Musk is elevating. Just like he said, we, we want independent media on Twitter. We want people to do this on Twitter. He wasn't talking about people on the left. He's right. only talking about people on the right. right. Those are the people that he's elevating. And that Mario guy has been called out multiple times on Twitter where people are said, listen, you're stealing other people's work and not giving them credit. He's not a journalist. 
He's huh. basically taking stuff that other people have already uploaded and he's not giving them credit for it. Man, I never heard of that guy. Yeah, I don't even know who that guy is. Yeah, also, Elon Musk said he would give any presidential candidate uh, a Twitter space, and he hasn't done that for Marianne Williamson. He hasn't done that for Cornel West, as far as I know, Cornel West or anybody else on the no, left. He's, so, yeah, you're he's right. only done it for people on the right. That's the right. other thing. He only did it for, by the way, in those spaces where he elevates those candidates, it's always Elon Musk and David Sachs. Huh. Another billionaire. Wow. No, I, I, yeah, I've never heard of that guy. Um, I mean, and then what do you, what, what about Cornell? I know that you mentioned, uh, I think, a, a few, I don't know if it was last week, Savvy, that Eric was volunteering for him, and then there was a lot of things to come from from Cornell. You need to follow. You need to follow. First of all, you need to go to Cornell West's website, okay, and sign up for email alerts. That's how I know everything that's happening. Sign up for the email alerts, or you need to follow him on Twitter. Okay. Because there's a number of things that have been happening with Cornell West that like people are purposely not talking about and purposely avoiding because he's not RFK Jr. And like, for example, Cornell West just said that um, he just called out Joe Biden in reference to what's happening in Gaza. Yeah. And he said that we need to invoke the UN. Um, oh, I forget what it's called. Hold on. Let me check. Okay. Hold on, let me check because he just talked about this. I just want to make sure I have this right because I can I say something while you look that up. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so um, one of the things we was talking about uh, the the squad politics and stuff. Um, I believe his name was Zach Exley. He helped create a Justice Democrats along with Chacha Kabarti, and when they were doing interviews in the book. Uh, Ryan Grimm's book, The Squad, he talks about how they were looking for people who are not activists. And I thought that was interesting. He said people that, and, and I would interpret that as people that are like more radical. And right. then I'm, yeah. I'm looking at, if you if you look at what they became, like AOC and stuff, even though they were kind of, they're not radical and they're kind of pal- palatable to like the Morning Joes and the Democratic people overall, they're not calling for boycott the divestment and sanctions, which um, mm-hmm. Colin, he, I, I put out a poll recently that uh, I was I, I was curious what people thought about Summer Lee um, challenging um, Fetterman. And Colin, he, he, he tweeted that he's like, who cares? So I was like, well, I, I thought that maybe somebody who uh, is calling for ceasefire versus the op- the total opposite, which is a Zionist, would be better, and he rightly pointed out, and Roger also like, well, we looking for somebody that that brings that like boycott, divestment, and sanctions. And I was like, you know what? I didn't think about that. That's true. If if we could find somebody, I would definitely be interested in that person. And I would have put that person in the poll as well. But I was go ahead. Roger. Yeah, I was talking about we need to find somebody who's registered independent, um, to hold leverage, but yeah. um. What, what 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 I didn't get a chance to speak about before, because um, that kid was talking about uh, Reverend Al, 
Um, so he has never um, going back to you. You'll hear this in the um, when you listen to the uh, to the reparationist Twitter space on the on the rewind, Sabrina. But one of the things that they were pissed off about was why in the world is Reverend Al Sharpton there? He never fought for reparations, you know, because mm-hmm. he was like all up behind the govern governor and everything, and you know they was they was pissed off at uh, Doctor West because they they're like, you know, he's trying to all lives matter reparations instead of making it for, you know, specifically for uh, American freedmen. Um, they were same thing. Even I was telling you about Charles Barron. They they were pissed off at him too. Um, well, he said, well, again, if you guys follow Dr. West on Twitter, he said he disagreed with what was passed in New York. He said they oh, watered down. Right. But what I'm saying is, is that they don't trust him because he seems he comes more from a pan-Africanist perspective in terms of you know, like, uh, instead of specifically for American freedmen. So I'm just, like I said, I'll try um, to get the guy on your show, and then he can explain it, okay? Now, um, let me jog Dwayne's memory here for a second. So um, he got, I would probably say Reverend Al kind of really got his legs with Bernard Getz. If you, I know you remember that one, the Bernard Getz case. Anybody don't know about the Bernard Getz case? I suggest you look it up. Um, but I will say this: we all knew a, a kid. We all knew yeah. that he was a showman. But you got to understand something: at that time in the '80s, there was nobody else. Right. You right. know what I'm saying? That's that's yeah. really all we had. That's that's really. That's I mean, right. especially if you were in New York. I mean, you got to remember. I mean, he was down with the public enemy. You know, Chuck D was even like, um, um, I forgot what that rhyme he said. Um, he said something like uh, the S1Ws or something like, and that's why I'm down with Al. You know, something like that because right. they used to roll together. That's right. Him, that's right. Spike, yeah. him, Spike Lee, Reverend Al, whatever the case is. Right. So it's, it's like that's really all we had. You know what I mean? Now that we got all these other new leaders that, you know, that are under 50, you know, you know, whether you want to say RBN or whether you want to say uh, the reparationist, whoever you want to say, now there is a multitude of different people that we could be like, you know, we, I guess we could comfortably say, you know, like Al sold out, especially when he got that MSNBC contract. Right. Something else. Now, maybe see if I can jog Dwayne's memory on this. Okay. You know who Asada Shakur is? Yeah. Yes. Um, well, I know you know Dwayne, but mm-hmm. a kid, you 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 know who I'm talking about? Yeah, I've yeah. heard of him. Yeah, because a lot of people, I say Asada Shakur, they're thinking of of Tupac's mother, which is Afeni right. Shakur. Right. Yeah. Asada Shakur. So she was a Black Panther. And she the, the Black Panthers broke her out of prison, and nobody knew that where she went. You know, she ended up in Cuba, right? Yeah. And, they was trying to find out where she, you know, where she was. Okay, so you gotta also you also have to understand something is that he was um, Al used to fuck around with, with Donald Trump and the mob. He was heavily involved with that. Yes, he did. That, that, yeah, 
Yeah, that's right. And all of that. And the mob had put out a hit on him in the 80s. Okay? So they mm-hmm. came to kill that brother, that brother. Okay? So when he went to the FBI for help, okay, they said, okay, well, we're not just going to help you. You need to do something for us. Mm-hmm. We need to know where Asada Shakur is. So uh, there's one guy that you cool with that, you know what I'm saying? Here, take this with you. You're going to press record and you're going to try to talk to him and find out where she is. Okay. And the, and the guy was just like, now, I don't know if he did this on. I, okay, well, you can make of it what you want. You can say he was just like, oh, I'm going to put, I'm going to make myself obvious because I'm being pressured into doing this by the FBI. So I'm going to make it like, I'm going to make it obvious what I'm doing. Yeah. Or you can say Al was just being sloppy. But they had, I think it was at Sylvia's, they met up and Al had a briefcase with him that he normally doesn't carry. And he made sure to put it up on the table and point it directly toward this dude to make it like real obvious. He's like, what what the hell is this? (laughs) You know what I mean? yeah. And he started talking to him about, yeah, you know, where's the side of Shakur at? And he's just like, nah, I'm not saying anything, right? And then um, there was another time he went to Al's house. And, you know, we had VCRs back then. And he made sure he sat him in front of a VCR. And he was just like thinking, does this VCR have a bug in it? You know what I'm saying? So he pretty much just stopped communicating with Al. And he just moved down south and been down south, like, ever since then. But... He was, he, I, I remember Al got, he was, he was, uh, he was trying, I think the reason why the mob was trying to put a hit out on him because there was some type of, he was involved with some drug deal that went bad or whatever and they had him had on a confession on a camera. This is like going back or whatever the case is, but. But, you know, interesting he, that you bring that up too, Roger, because that's what I was referencing was <clears throat> I saw this interview of this mob guy talking about, you know about Mike Franzese yeah Mike Franzese something like that yeah that yeah, guy I watch him every once in a while. that's his name yeah yeah and he was the one talking about Al and you know what Al was doing back in the day that he was a he was a low-level crook you know in a sense yeah yeah he, yeah. yeah he was a snitch and that he was <laughs> you know he was dealing with the with the mob in somewhere or another you know in illegal manners I guess you could say yeah, that's how him and Trump was cool back then because Trump yeah. was dealing with them also. He trying to get them buildings um, up. Well, oh, sorry. That's it. Oh, no, good. I just want to make sure I get in the other two people. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. No, thank you, Savvy. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Savvy. All right. Um, Bindu, you are on the mic. Just have to hit the unmute button and we'll hear you. What's up, Bindu? Hey, Savvy. How are you doing? Can you guys hear me clearly and everything? We can hear you. What's on your mind? Uh, I was just going to like circle back real quick. The way, um, the kind of like, I guess, rebut what Eric was talking about with like more modern hip hop. Like, I definitely agree with him that like the hip hop from that era was definitely like more messaging and saying a lot of things back then. But I think you got to look at like just the journey of where hip hop is now, where a lot of these like young kids are now. I would say going back to like, the Drakes and the Kendricks and Coles and Ford, like we're basically, and, and myself included, I'm a music artist as well. Like obviously not like, you know, famous or anything, but like just how I'm looking at it too, as an artist is, you know, we saw all these revolutionary figures or not necessarily that, but like all these figures talking about shit in hip hop and like, look at, I mean, excuse my language, but look at where all these niggas is now. Like, like you got, uh, KRS one, you know, taking pictures with a fucking cop. <laughs> you got like all, 
all these dudes that you know we were supposedly supposed to look up to all these old niggas is now like essentially have sold out to the establishment they used to criticize so a lot of these young cats are looking around now like all right well fuck it i'm gonna go out here and talk about you know lean where am i you know my shiesty and all that and whatever whatever then you got the kendricks and the coles i feel like Cole less so, Kendrick more so, because like I think people really need to go back and listen to um Mortal Man on To Pimp a Butterfly, and he you know he talks about like at the end when he was talking to Tupac at the end. Spoiler alert for the album to those that haven't heard it, but like Tupac said it clearly, like yo, like here in America, like once you reach thirty, it's like they take the soul out of a brother. Like if you if you haven't done your shit by thirty, you're probably not going to do it after that, because America just got the way of taking like the one out of the cells of a black man. I feel like that's what we see with a lot of rappers. So you just got a lot of dudes that's just saying like, you know, like, fuck it. Like I'm going to go and do my own, you know, Jay-Z shaking hands with the Clintons and shit. Like all, all it's, it's a list. You could go on a whole list, killer Mike saying, yo, we need to do crypto to save the black community. All this nonsense that people are talking about. And then you got, you know, we talk about Al Sharpton, but then you got a lot of like the new age versions of him, I think, and like the Tariq Nasheeds and Dr. Umar, where it's like these guys are basically just characters, caricatures now at this point. Like they're, you know, doing skits essentially now. So it's like, you know, a lot of these younger artists, like I'm looking at it like I, I'm honestly, I'm just I'm sick of hearing from the older generation critiquing the younger because it's like, what have y'all actually done and accomplished with all this? you know, with all this talk y'all talking about. And that's, you know, that's no disrespect to the brothers that did put in work and actually, you know, did accomplish some things, but like just the level of like critique and shitting on like, you know, the, you know, the youth is just like, it's not helping. And then on top of that, I look at hip hop as now, like kind of like going through kind of like it's grunge phase that like, you know, that rock went through in the nineties and everything. Like, so you have like a lot of these like young kids, like, doing like different things like i've been in these spaces where it's like you know you do have people talking about you know real issues and politics and things like that i talk about that in my music and shit but then you just got the other dudes it's just like man we you know we, we you know just doing us so like from that hip-hop perspective like that's just how i feel about that um i also say like i kind of i probably got like an unpopular opinion on the Trump stuff. And it's like, you know, I, I hear everything y'all have been saying. You know, I hear a lot of the things other people have been saying. And I wouldn't say my perspective is coming from, like, you know, like a liberal perspective. It's just like, I, I honestly, like, I, I just don't care, like, at this point. It's like, you know, people talk about how, you know, you could load the systems doing him so unfairly, like, regardless of whether you like him or not, da-da-da. And it's like, I think what they're doing to him is wrong. But then when I see this motherfucker go on stage and talking about in, um, indemnifying police and shit, I'm like, all right, well, fuck him. He's still pandering to the same fucking system that's fucking him over. So why should I defend him in any shape or manner when he seems to not even want to defend himself? So it's like, you know, it's like, I, you know, I'm and then like from the black perspective, you know, we keep hearing these stories about, you know, from both sides and, you know, in between, like oh, you know, it's a lot of black supporters going over to Trump. And I'm looking at them like they're goofy because it's like, all right, your your whole framework of why you're liking Trump now is coming from the perspective of, oh, well, Democrats haven't done nothing for us, da-da-da, this, that, and the third, so I'm going to go vote for Trump. But I'm like, so, so, so you didn't do 
what like a Claude Anderson was saying to do in his, you know, in his books and his works and uh, Dr. Henry Clark and all of these different, you know, black figures, like in terms of like using your, you know, political pressure to pressure these people to do things like other groups do, like you're seeing the Jewish community do now, you know, like you saw the Asian community do with affirmative action, like all these different groups, uh, you know, use their political pressure to get shit that they want and get shit done. But for some reason, like our, you know, our leaders never do that for us to end up selling out or whatever, whatever. So now you're going to go switch to another party that's just telling you outright, we don't fuck with y'all niggas. Like that's straight up what the Republican Party is telling people. And I'm sitting back like, I'm not fucking with either party. I think like to some degree, black people should be divesting like from the system overall because the system's not working for us. So why play in a game that's set for you to fail anyway? Yeah. I mean that that's that's a really good point. Um, unfortunately, like that's happening though. That's happening where people are moving. Um, Susan, um, I invited you to speak. You just have to accept it. Unfortunately, that's happening, and I warn people of this. I warn people that if the Democrats don't do what they're supposed to do to help the people, that yes, like more people would move over towards. Uh, a Trump-like figure, and that's what we have right now. And 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 this is exactly what I tried to warn people about. I mean, it just the fact that people thought that Joe Biden would be so much better. That's the part that really like is interesting to me. That that blew my mind. I had so many like I became more political when I got older because I'm 26 years old. Like I, you know, I, I got political, you know, really political probably about three years ago, something like that. And I had a lot of classmates that were in high school, you know, they were like, you know, advocating for black causes and things like that and blah, blah, blah. And like 2020 came around, you know, I'm posting like, you know, we went out and did all that marching for Black Lives Matter. And y'all telling me to go vote for Joe Biden when he just sat in a room full of our black leaders and said, I'm not giving you nothing, basically. Yeah. And he didn't even like he, he didn't even say it and like. Oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing, he straight up told him, he's like, I'm not doing nothing for you. Stop complaining about it. Stop asking me. I'm not going to do it. And y'all still told us to go vote for that guy. <laughs> oh, that, it's not that, that people just went to vote for Trump, uh, Sabrina, because they didn't like him. Some people also, they guilt tripped them to go vote for Trump. I remember Jordan Chadden was guilt tripping his audience saying, well, mean, Trump's this and that. You mean Biden, guilt trip to go vote for Biden. Yes, guilt trip to go vote for Biden. It's like, well, I, I'm I'm basically doing the right thing here. Trump's a Democrat, Trump's blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to tell you not to go do it. I'm just telling you that Trump's a bad dude. This is like the Trump derangement syndrome that I feel like a lot of people had in 2020. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I also feel like black people suffer sometimes with cognitive dissonance. Because any, I mean, we all know Biden's record. I mean, like Biden was the architect of mass incarceration that unfortunately negatively really impacted the black community. So I, I understand definitely, Benji, what you were speaking to in terms of why would any black person decide to vote for Biden? Plus, we all know he was someone who was like a segregationist. Um, he has used very charged language in discussing, you know, black people in terms of like the super predator aspect of it, you know, when they were deciding on like the vote for that crime bill. And so I think anyone who looked into his record would have understood Biden's not someone you should be voting for. And Kamala Harris as well, like she was highly problematic as the attorney general as well, not just only the attorney general, but when she was specifically DA in San Francisco with her policies, but 
I, you know, right. for some reason, I think people bought into, oh, Trump is so bad, therefore we must vote for the other person. Um, but obviously now look where we're at, so. Yeah, I think it's I think it's from like a reactionary, like unorganized position, though, because like look in the past of like, you know, where a lot of like these like, you know, policies that, you know, we air quotes got in our favor, like civil rights and things like that. But, you know, it came from some pretty objectionable people like, you know, like so it's not it's not about like whether what these people's records are. It's about whether you're going to actually organize and then use that, you know, use that power to pressure them, because like. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of issues that, you know, Democrats necessarily like this issue with, you know, the whole conflict overseas is like fucking Biden up in the polls right now. But he's riding hard because he understands that that political pressure the Jewish lobby has can make or break him. Like, I feel like black people, you know, for as long as we've, you know, we've been in this country, especially like black America, like freedmen. And, you know, as you know, honestly, as much work as we have put in in that activist front, like the fact that we have never like actually wielded that power to get substantive things done for us. It's just crazy to me. Like, like it's 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 like. It's like, I feel like we all focus in on the wrong things. Like you have people, you know, like I said, like, you know, I clown people like Dr. Umar, Tariq Nasheed, but they say some things that I agree with, but then they start talking about solutions that aren't actually going to like, why are we building a museum when you got black men out here getting fucked up by police in the streets? You got people losing their homes to, you know, these crooked ass, you know, non-black bankers, a lot of these, you know, white bankers and Jewish bankers and shit, like all types of like shit that's going on. And y'all talking about opening schools and museums and shit. Like, I, I just feel like the priorities for black for black Americans is just it, it's all fucked up right now. Like, in terms of that, Biden is afraid of the Israel what? lobby. Ben, dude, I think he's 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 a Zionist himself. There's a clip where he says it's not it's it's not it's not bad to be a Zionist. It's a good thing, be a Zionist. And uh, I don't think he's afraid of them taking him out because he keeps doing what they want. So. As for the re- as for why the black community is doing this shit, I've been hearing the word slave mentality is why the black community can't seem to get up, get their heads out of their own asses. I've been hearing that word a lot, slave mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, can, I, I can't. Yeah. A part of the problem that the descendants of slaves in this country have dealt with and faced is we have been pegged to the bottom of the economic registry. And so, you know, while we had to fight for, you know, to a certain degree, civil rights and this and that, I just recently re-listened to a debate between Malcolm X and um, Bayard Rustin. And Malcolm X was talking about the economic impact. And the reality is in a capitalist country, if you don't get a foothold in capital, in ownership, you're going to always be at the base, which is why it was so important for our people to have gotten reparations. When we were coming out of the um, slavery, we needed a foothold in the economic wherewithal in this country, which is why the, you know, 40 acres and a mule would have been so important because if that had been achieved, we would have been a part to some extent of the ownership class. Look how early that would have been. And so when we had the great, you know, the um, immigrants coming from Europe and this and that, we were already here if we had some foothold in 
ownership, then we would have been ingrained in that, you know, the, the movements of the nation. Not that capitalism is a good thing, but that's clearly why we have been remained at the bottom because, you know, we had fought for civil rights, but civil rights did not give you an economic foothold. So technically we were still at the base and our people, I think just, you know, coming out of the sixties into the seventies, there was a lot of collective trauma behind those, you know, the leaders like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Megger Evers and all those people who had been assassinated and people misunderstood the impact of affirmative action and this and that. And so frankly, we went through a period where there was not a cohesive leadership class that was building a momentum to get the economic piece. People, and then, you know, people start pursuing their own interests. It was like, get the bag at all costs. And we've never had that collective thing, you know, like we're seeing now where people are starting to push for reparations, but that should have been the push all along. It should have been what we were leveraging our, you know, voter um, influence with the Democrats. We should have been pushing for that, but we got caught up in this symbolism, ooh, a black president, ooh, a black mayor, a black this. Mm -hmm. And those people go into those institutions and uphold the values of those institutions, which is why now we get white supremacy and blackface, because these people are going in to get the bag, to get reelected, to be, you know, just that face in the space. But nobody is doing anything to impact and improve the plight of the descendants of slaves. And that's why politically, you know, we never figured out how to really mobilize and make actionable our, you know, identity politics. That's what everybody else does as a group. But we, we've <laughs> never gotten to that. And, and I understand why Bindu would be disenfranchised and to a certain degree disillusioned with black politics because it doesn't seem ever to amount to anything. You know, we yeah, got well, all these people in the um, Congressional Black Caucus and they talking about being the goddamn conscience of the nation. Bitch, that ain't what we need you to do. <laughs> we need you to be advocating for your people. Exactly. But we have allowed them to get into those spaces and then play all these other different roles in this and that and blah, blah, blah. That is not what politics is about. But we we haven't gotten there yet. But well, I think you should look at like Chicago, for example. Like, and look, I'm not I'm not trying to shit on other groups plates or anything like that. But I'm just like I'm keeping it a stack from the black perspective. Like when I look at what's going on in Chicago, where you have like you know, black people in power in Chicago that are fighting, you know, on behalf of immigrants rights where you have, you know, certain people like, like people within the black community saying like, yo, this is harming us. So like, you're literally like pushing us out of our communities and bringing another group in and replace, you know, replacing with that. And you see them double down against like, the you know the black people that put them there to represent them it's just like you said like that like that that you know it's like a black face of of white supremacy but i also think it's like you see how willing they are to cater to other groups but at the same time when you look at you know those those types of groups and again you know 
I recognize that a lot of people that might, you know, that come to this country are coming here because of, you know, the imperialism with that. I think a lot of that is absent from what a lot of Adolfs and freedmen people say, but that still doesn't negate the reality that black people on the ground are facing. And it's like the fact that our leaders, like to me, when this, when I, like, when I see, you know, when like somebody goes against MAGA, like they yeet people that don't go along with what they want. That, that doesn't go along with the white agenda. Like, you see them trying to yeet people that's not going along with the Jewish agenda, or not necessarily the Jewish agenda, but the Zionist agenda. You see all these things happening, and it's like the fact that, like, black, it's like, it's like, it's like black people just like, certain black people are seeing it and are like, yo, we need to do, like, look at what's going on. And it's like, other ones are just like up in the air. Like, I talk to my mom about these things, like, and just my family around me, and it's like, you know, it's like it's in one ear and out the fucking other. But then when like, you know, when you see like, you know, Tyree Nichols or, you know, George Floyd or something like that happen, that's when people want to bring it up. But it's like, you, know, you got to bring these, bring this shit up when it's uncomfortable. Like you're going to get people that are not going to fuck with you fighting for you and yours. But at the end of the day, that's, I feel like that's what we got to do as black people, regardless of how, like, fuck how people feel at this point, especially at this point. And do so. Okay. The, some of the things I'm hearing you say, I'm just, you know, listening. So it just seems like what I'm hearing you talk about more, which I think is actually very much on par or just on point, is this idea of the focus really should be more on actual policies that will benefit, you know, ADOS folks, just black people. Um, but I think, unfortunately, what I've just, someone who's been observing kind of, you know, how politics seems to work, specifically, I think, you know, how you know, black folks kind of operate, you know, within the political spectrum here in this country. It does to me seem as if the focus tends to be more on them aligning themselves with the democratic agenda and not necessarily with the black agenda. You know, like what really is truly going to benefit, you know, the, the black constituents, the focus for whatever reason, it almost seems. And I do think this is definitely done intentionally on on purpose, because I remember very clearly when I lived in Atlanta, I will never forget how John Lewis um this is, I think, again, what was going on, you know, when Trump initially got elected, he went down to, I think it was like the airport and was, you know, basically, you know, definitely in lock and set, you know, discussing this idea of, oh, you know, being pro-immigrant and such and such, such and such. But I'm like, but there's so many issues impacting Atlanta, like poverty that, you know, negatively impacts the black community in, in Atlanta. You know, the fact that, you know, homelessness has been an issue, all these things, whatever. And you're not discussing any of those things, but you're so focused on, you know, again, the issues that the Democratic Party wants you to focus on. And so I think part of the problem is that we have a lot of black politicians who have been basically they've been co-opted. Um, they, they're black. And you've talked about you've actually have had videos on this, Sabrina, in terms of this idea of like black leadership is a it's a disillusion in a lot of ways, because there isn't really the representation that black people actually need, specifically ADOS. Um, you know, their politicians are, they've been co-opted by the Democratic Party, um, and they don't really seem to truly, really focus on what the needs are of the black community at large, well, or ADOS, like, at large, specifically, and I think that's unfortunate. Yes, these are all good points. I want to bring in, um, I, wanna, I don't want to forget Notori, and I know Susan, uh, Bindu, I'm just going to make you a speaker. I'm inviting okay. you to speak, um, but I want to bring in Notori. Notori, if you want to go ahead and unmute, and then I'll um, also bring in Susan. Go ahead, Notori. I want to piggyback on what, what um, Noel and Linda and Bindu were saying. Um, 
I feel like Black America, the ones that's on the ground, we get it. We understand what's going on, but it's like the government did a good job of beating Black people down because you don't see people like Martin Luther King no more because we all understand, well, most of us understand that if you do shit like that, they're going to kill you or throw your ass in jail. And I feel like a lot of Black people in this country is like, submissive and not trying to be like the Black Panthers no more. And then the ones that we do have, not the ones on the ground, but the ones in office, to me, I feel like they, the Negroes that love master, they're going to do everything they can, like the Cory Bookers and um, the vice president. They're going to do everything they can because they was chosen and they in, like they ain't in the field no more. They're in the house. And so they doing everything they can for their self and not for the people that's on the ground. That's how I feel. Thank you so much, Tori. That's a really good point. Um, I feel the same way. Um, and Tori, I know you were going to, I think you were trying to unmute. Um, I feel the same way. I just, I, I will tell you, like, I think a lot of people sold out. Like, I'm sorry, but <laughs> Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, Jesse Jackson didn't just sell out as a part of our generation. From what I've understood, like people I've talked to, like Cynthia McKinney, Jesse Jackson sold out a long time ago. Mm hmm. I've seen documentaries about him, like, like, um, Huey and. I remember the guy, um, I can't, I don't know why I can't, Fred Hampton, all of them. It's like I've seen every time when black people try to get ahead in this country, they get thrown in prison or they get shot down and killed. And I feel like the only thing that's going to change in America is if it's going to be more, it's going to have to be more bloodshed, compassion, policies and all that. It's not working. And see, the thing is, Black people would need a more enlightened politics. We can't just be sitting around to my, ooh, Katanji Brown is Black. Ooh, Kamala Harris is Black because she got brown skin and all this. Those people are not representing your interests. It should be, we should have an agenda of what we need to exist in this nation. And we should only be sending folks forward who put forward that agenda. And if they don't, we should be bringing their behinds back immediately. But what happens is you get people in there like Clyburn and people be so happy to see a black representative till they keep voting them in over and over and over. Cause here in Ohio, Marsha Fudge was um, our representative before Chantel Brown and she could literally do nothing and we wouldn't hear about anything. But every time she came up on that ballot, people be like, Ooh, vote for Marsha Fudge. Cause you know, she the black and she was there before and this and that. And these people do absolutely nothing to help improve your situation, but we have to be active in a different way than, you know, the Israel lobby because we don't have those type of funds to move in that lobby arena. So we have to, like you say, as the grassroots, hold their behinds to the fire. And if you don't deliver and you don't take the postures that we need, we need to be snatching right back home. But we don't do that. We get caught up in the symbolism and this and that. And the, you know, the crown echo, you get to wear your hair. Ooh, um, 
what is it, the Juneteenth holiday and all this type of superficial BS. We need economic impact. We need to be repaired in this capitalist nation. We don't have anything. We don't own anything. And that's why every time a crisis, an economic crisis rolls around, we suffer foremost and the most. When we had a banking crisis, when we had a housing crisis, it is black folks who have barely any significant resources. We take a unilateral step back because we yeah. never had a foothold in this country. So we really have been labor from the beginning up to now. We are always labor. And, mm -hmm. and, and it's because our politics suffer. And it's a part of it is because our politics have gone through the church and people, oh, minister so-and-so said endorse this. And it's just crazy. And sometimes it drives me crazy because I get sick of it. But to your point, we do mobilize, like you say, Notori, on the grassroots, but we don't translate that political energy into anything that will help us. And it it's going to be a fight because what we see in this nation is, like you say, anytime you come together and try and advocate, there is a huge pushback because white America understands what it would mean if we were unleashed from the bottom. It, it disturbs the whole strata, the social strata, as well as the economic foundation. They depend upon us being at the bottom of those ladders. And if we are not, people, they sense, ooh, something is wrong. That's why they're talking about, ooh, great replacement, because they have been where they have been in this society, and they plan on being there forever, no matter who's the majority, who's whatever. They, yeah. they work to keep those things in place. But the people, the people you're talking about, they got help, and that's what I mean by... Like what pissed me off, what I saw this week when I saw, yes, I like the Breakfast Club and Fox Soul. I like some of that stuff, but they put entertainment and then they bring on um Democrats. And then you, like, it pissed me off when they said, you, it's black and white. You either going to pick Joe Biden or Donald Trump. And you stupid. They actually calling people dummies now that um, if you vote for, um, Donald Trump or don't vote or vote for third party. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And then I was trying to like talk to them in the chat and they said, I can't talk to you not random bitches down because I'm like, this is about class too, because y'all is not in the same class as I am. And it's like a lot of people need to start talking about that too, because it's not just the white people. It's the, um, I'm going to say the uppity ones, niggas, they don't say that no more, but I'm going to just say they got their nose in everything. They better than the middle and low class black people. Well, well, let me say something about the Breakfast Club. Um, I don't know if everyone knows this, because I don't think I've said this. Um, I, I think I only mentioned this once, but Charlamagne. You know Charlamagne? Charlemagne the God was my best friend's neighbor. What? Are you, yeah, yes, you mentioned like, a, lot of real, a lot of people don't realize this. Like when I was when I was at the University of South Carolina, so me and my best friend, senior year, University of South Carolina, she had an apartment. It actually was kind of like a duplex. So she lived in like a duplex. She lived by herself. And Charlemagne, at one point in time. He was her neighbor. 
This is back when Charlemagne was on the radio. He was local radio in Columbia, South Carolina. Was this before or after his rape allegations with Jessica Reed? This is before all of that. Nobody knew. So at this point in time, nobody knew who Charlemagne was outside of South Carolina. Hmm. Yeah. So this is when he was still on local radio. So that was the thing. Like, and then I remember, and I still remember this to my day, to this day. Um, I was at her apartment, and we were playing. It was Desperate Housewives. Desperate Housewives had a game. It was a board game. We were playing uh-huh. a game, and I remember he called her, and he was telling her I was there, and he told her that he was leaving Columbia, South Carolina. He was moving to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And he was going to be working on the Wendy Williams radio show. So this is when Wendy Williams was still doing radio. This is how far back this goes. This is what a lot of people don't realize. Like, you know, some of the people that you see now that you're like, oh, they're in these big spaces. Just remember, it wasn't always that way. So Charlemagne used to do local radio for Columbia, South Carolina. And then eventually it got to the point where he actually got promoted to either either he applied for it or whatever, but to go work for the Wendy Williams show. And that was when Wendy Williams was doing radio. So for those who are not aware, Wendy Williams started out as a radio host or what do you want to call it? DJ, DJ. She started 98.7 Kiss FM. That's right. Before she got the talk show. And so he he moved there to go work for Wendy Williams. And there's there's more there's oh my god, there's so much to the story. Because like he moved there to go work for her, and then he apparently, according to Wendy, he apparently was the person that introduced Wendy Williams' husband to the girl that he that Wendy Williams' husband cheated on, that Kevin cheated on. Yeah. According to Wendy, that's what she said. She said that Charlemagne hooked them up. That is true. Yeah. Because there's, and talking about like, you know, uh, freak offs, there have also been allegations about Charlemagne the God. Mm hmm. And a lot of people don't want to talk about this, but there have also been Charlotte allegations about him, about him being with. Uh, multiple women against their will. Yeah. So he actually, it kind of, so when the whole Jessica Reed allegations kind of came out and it became more public, you know, now it became more public. Cause I think star star from star report, he put it out there. Like he was the one who got access to the court documents um, a few years ago because he got them from Jessica Reed. And then from there, he put it out there on his YouTube show. But yeah, specifically kind of what was going on even with some of that was um, he himself has acknowledged when he was, he has the whole Brilliant Idiots podcast on YouTube. So with Andrew Schultz, he also has even said that he was basically using Spanish fly and drugging girls. And he actually, on that podcast, he talked about the whole Jessica Reese situation, but he kind of lied. He lied about it. He also lied about it in his book when his book came out, that very first book he had. And so that's when she got upset and he then came out and decided to like make it public and to sue him. Yes, and this guy's goes on to let me let me make something clear. 
Charlamagne has been on The View. He's been on all these different shows and like nobody asked him about these things. No one asked him about it. And so the other thing I want to point out too, which I had said to RBN, I was like, don't you guys think it's a little bit strange that The Breakfast Club only brings on... Roger, can you mute for a second? Oh, I'm bad. Sorry. (laughs) That The Breakfast Club only brings on like Democrat loyalists or they'll bring on Republicans. Like they brought on Vivek Ramaswamy, right? But notice how you'll never see them. And I said, RBN should be invited on to the breakfast club. Like, just think, we're, we're the largest black network in left independent media. And they have not even reached out to, they won't even bring us on. I reached out to them. I reached out oh, wow. and said, hey, you know, yada, yada. This is what we're about, that kind of thing. Never heard anything back. I have Charlemagne the Guard's personal email address because he was friends with my fucking best friend. Were you really surprised they didn't reach out to you? Because I mean, I, I were you were you surprised that they didn't reach out? No, but it's just it, the thing is, is that if they brought on Olay, they brought on Olay. They brought on Alamia Alamia Lauren. Mm-hmm. So if you can bring on her to talk about police brutality and the criminal justice system, why can't you bring on Nick to talk about 10 demands for justice and foreign policy? You know why? So because the whole criminal, okay, I I get what you're speaking about and you're, you're right in what you're saying. However, it kind of gets back to what um, I think Notori and Noel were kind of talking about earlier in terms of how so the Breakfast Club definitely, they are like this, they definitely will kind of have people on that show who will kind of speak to, you know, these hot button issues that impact the black community. And so we know like obviously criminal justice, like reform, the sort, those sort of issues, they've been like issues that, okay, like black folks concerned about with police brutality, such and such. Therefore, I could see why they would have, you know, been okay with having maybe this person you're talking about on their show. However, they don't, if you really think about it, the Breakfast Club, for the most part, they do not have guests that will actually really do a lot to inform the audience to have a different perspective or to view things a different way. And I say that because look at how they did even, again, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of Larry Elder, but, you know, when they had him on that, on, you know, the show and his perspective was obviously very different from theirs. Um, they were really in direct opposition to him and made that very clear to the point where it's like you're interrupting this man. You're actually being really rude to someone who's supposed to be your guest. It's almost as if somehow, you know, you have black voices sometimes who are mainstream media who act like somehow black people are all supposed to be a monolith. And we're all supposed to think and feel the same way as if somehow we can't have dissenting opinions or dissenting views from one another when actually every other group can do that. So why can't black people also do that as well? And, and, and I totally hear you. That's a really good point. But my thing is, is that they had Mark Lamont Hill on. The thing that really frustrates me is that, you know, Nick from RBN is very knowledgeable about foreign policy, very knowledgeable about foreign policy. And it really frustrates me sometimes when I see him looked over and they'll just bring on the same people, not just the breakfast club, but everybody. 
It's the same fucking people. And I'm like, why are you not bringing on? Here is a young black guy who is very knowledgeable about foreign foreign policy, has a fucking platform, and you won't even bring him on because, why? Because he doesn't have a PhD? It's very frustrating to me. I don't understand it. You don't need to have a PhD to understand what the fuck is going on in the world. Well, hell, Charlemagne ain't got no PhD either. Exactly. Exactly. That's my point, Noel. Y'all know he hasn't been talking about Y'all know he haven't been um the only reason he's talking about this spiritual healing shit bullshit because that sexual um harassment I mean that rape case he got mm-hmm. he ain't yeah. bring that up until that star coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Well yeah, I mean that that yeah, I mean, because Charlemagne has been trying to rebrand himself for a long time. But yeah, I think with what happened with the Just for Me situation, um you know, yeah, people are aware of his dirty laundry, but no, I, I mean, I definitely agree with what you're saying, Savvy, in terms of like, yes, it would be nice to see, you know, other maybe like alternative, like, you know, uh, black media, like being able to have a, a chance to actually be on a platform like the Breakfast Club so that they could kind of, you know, be able to grow their audience um, as well as also so people could know who they are. Right. But I think part of the problem is that the Breakfast Club is very corporate. So to a certain extent, you can't tell me it's not also where I'm sure they're having to kind of run their guests by whoever, you know, is overseeing their show. I mean, and so I, I think also, unfortunately, that plays a role. Right. And so if someone like Nick, who obviously is very intelligent, um, regardless of whatever his educational level is, doesn't matter. He's clearly very intelligent and he has a platform. But at the same time, if they can't sit here and kind of have an idea as to, oh, what is he really going to say? Like, we don't really know. He's unpredictable. I think they're also bringing people on who are somewhat predictable. Does that make sense? Where they have an idea as to what that person is going to say. Um, so if they're not really sure of that, that might also be the other reason why they're not willing to take that chance, unfortunately. But well, I think it's also like... But they're willing when you... to bring on... One, one second. But they're willing to bring on Larry Elder, who told Charlemagne the God to his face that he was wrong for not pushing back against Joe Biden when Joe Biden told him he wasn't black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah, and I can and I understand why they brought him on because if you think about it, they were I think I think he, they were definitely taken aback by that. They didn't expect him to say that, but at the same time, too. They they also will intentionally bring on people who were they can antagonize, and they were definitely intentionally going out of the way to antagonize him. You know, as if oh, any person who's not you know thinking along with the vote blue or this idea of oh, you know, Democrats should be the way we should be voting, such and such. They were intentionally going out of the way to make it seem very clear that hey, you as a Republican, such and such, we don't agree with your perspective. Um, however, yeah, he definitely checked them on a lot of things that actually, if you look at the comments on that video, people were actually were in alignment with what Larry, a lot of the stuff that Larry Elder had to say. And they were actually kind of clowning, like, you know, that interview in terms of how the Breakfast Club handled it, per se. But, um, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I think also to a certain extent, Larry Elder, I mean, he's, he had, you know, now, I mean, you know, he's had a national radio, like a nationally um, syndicated radio show, that sort of thing. So maybe it's just too much it really like they were okay with that, but yeah, yeah. They brought on pork chop too from the Young Turks. <laughs> Who's pork chop? <laughs> Who are you talking about? Chink yogurt. I don't know how to say his name. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, well, they call him Chunk Yogurt. So. <laughs> but see, here's the other thing too. They are inside the Beltway. 
And like Linda is saying, whoever their executive producers are and this and that, they're screening and there are certain positions that they're just not going to have. And, you know, when I think about The View, you know, they have the traditional, you know, Democrat leaning and then you have the Republican view. But there are plenty women out there who have a view that's not represented. You know, where's my view? Where's mm. the people who necessarily fall within that context of Democrat Republican? Where's that voice in the platform to say, you know what, neither one of these two yin yangs work for us? It's always they they thrive within the polarity of the duopoly. And that's why in this country we never get a third party. We never get that energy because those two polarities work together to stymie that third voice that's saying this whole thing isn't working. We need a whole nother way of looking at things. And I get so frustrated sometimes in watching those programs because I want to come clearly in the middle and say, well, you know, that's not true, Whoopi Goldberg. That's not the right perspective, you know, Sonny. There's a different way of seeing this. But that's clearly not what they want because they're not trying to build that out in this society. Well, they don't want to hear my view either, uh, Noel. They don't want to hear a leftist perspective. They don't even want to hear, like, to be honest with you, they don't even want to hear, like, Brianna Joy Gray, who is a public figure. They don't want to hear her view. They only want to hear the neoliberal view or the conservative view. Um, so it's really not the view. It's just like what is just certain views that they want to hear. And that's, and it's bullshit. You have, you guys ever noticed like on the view, you never, you never saw them from the very beginning. When that show started, there was never a socialist. There was never a leftist perspective. It was always the liberal and the conservative. And that's it. And that's what pissed me off about that show because it's really not the view. Whose view are they representing? Theirs, the capitalists, the oligarchs. Plus, they get plus they would they would get destroyed if some actual socialist or communist came on the show. They wouldn't be able. Those cue cards don't have enough answers for those ones. I wouldn't even say just Democrats. I feel like um, the Breakfast Club is the status quo line. They hold the status quo line because they have both parties up there, but they don't never go outside of the party, the two-party duopoly. Yeah, I would would also say, too, though, that, like, even people, like, I kind of agree with um, um, the perspective of, like, to some degree that black people aren't a monolith and things like that. But even people like Larry Elder, though, Candace Owens, even somebody like, like, I, like, I would like to see a debate between like, even though he's kind of out there and crazy, like a Charleston white in a room or like a Larry Elder and a Nick or Sabby and Candace Owens. But even those people, they wouldn't come talk to RBN because they know that they like, it's not like, they have their own pre-conscribed, you know, pre, uh, pre, uh, it's the same thing as the view. Like they have their same talking points with whoever's paying them. Like all of these other people are still paid by billionaires as well. So it's like, that's what infuriates me about conservative black people, because it's like, you know, even going, you know, going back, like you, you would have like the boy, uh, 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 and, um, 
and Garvey and all these like all these different black people like have like debating each other like sometimes viciously you know like but they would still have these conversations like we're not having these conversations with like our conservative counterparts because I think they know they would get exposed as being corporately back whereas me somebody like I got a fucking little ass YouTube show on you know that you know hasn't even broken a thousand subscribers you know so at the same time but like I feel like you know, I'm not educated, you know, like you guys said, like, I, I didn't go to college. I'm, I'm a fucking forklift driver. I'm talking to you guys from my job right now, my lift. But it's like, you know, I feel like I can hold my weight against somebody like a Larry Elder or a Candace Owens. But it's not about, like, trying to beat them. For me, it's not about trying to beat somebody in a debate. It's about trying to exchange knowledge and, and, and provide that knowledge to our people in a beneficial like way as well like malcolm would debate people but malcolm would debate people trying to educate black people as a whole to like racism uh, uh imperialism and capitalism and that's another thing too i feel like they they try to hide the marxist you know reality of black of these you know black radical movements like you know like i had to go read on my own to find out that Malcolm X is pretty much a fucking Marxist. Like he very clearly said in multiple of his speeches that, you know, that Martin Luther King, you know, was an anti-imperialist, you know, for all intents and purposes, social Democrat, like God forbid, like, you know, Fred Hampton, like I learned about him later on. And, you know, another person, another figure I learned about later on in life, I, you know, I heard about the black Panthers, but Fred Hampton's story specifically, you know, I, I never heard of until I was older. So it's like, they want to get rid of the black Marxist radical voice and replace it with these milquetoast liberal voices and these, you know, conservative voices that just say buck wild shit. And I wanted to say, I know it's a lot of people, you'd be surprised, Sabby and RBN who watch y'all show. And trust me, a lot of people don't want to go um, on y'all show, not just because they don't want to go. They got to really do their homework because if any like a person like me can see and see how y'all do y'all like y'all real down to the ground like y'all know y'all stuff and what the people is talking that's why i feel like that's why y'all growing and they the people that's like up there i'm pretty sure they watching y'all show and probably don't want to go on or have that you know real well let me let me play something i'll come to you for uh in a second linda Guys, I got to play this for you. Someone sent this to me. This shit is hilarious. It's hilarious, okay? Um, So I'm going to go in the chat. Let me know if you can hear it first. Listen to this. Someone made a video making fun of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. Listen to this. Let me see if you can hear it. Okay, I'm pausing. Can you hear it? Someone tell me in the chat. Can you hear it? Yeah, I can hear it. Okay, all right. Here we go. This is funny. Listen. Hey, 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 you know what's really well? Got your own son calling you a pedophile. Why you getting called that by your own child? They say pay Peter every time the phone down. Wow. Hunter, are you in with hookers while they wear crack? They call it a conspiracy, but I'm saying plans In the mansion up in Cali, but don't pay for that. Media don't cover it up. I can't get it. Here we go again. If it was Trump Jr., it would be on CNN. This is what happens. 
Play the scene. This is what happens when the devil knock you let him in. Nah, I don't care about who this offends. Fighting crime family, they all belong in the pen. Fighting loves minors, that's the real BLM. Call me what you want, but at least I ain't a damn. Wait, hold up, don't get mad at me. Am my tripping over seeing bed with Natalie? Why he recording all that? What's the strategy? If you do this, you should probably do bestiality. Now your president's son is a crackhead. But you the smartest guy, he noticed what your dad said. Is he the real president or Jack? Why is everyone that voted for your dad dead? Hey, you know what's really wild? That your own son calling you a pedophile. Why you by your own child? They say pay to Peter every time the phone down. Wow, Hunter arguing with hookers while they wear crack. Whoa, they call it a conspiracy, but I'm saying facts. Whoa, in the mansion up in Cali, but don't pay for that. Whoa, the media don't cover it up like he ain't your hat. Whoa, all the women in your phone, can we check the age? Wasn't you on Epstein Island, can we check the page? Hunter needs to be in prison, put him in the cage. I thought he was clean, seemed like he ain't changed his ways. And that ain't working for charisma, how he get a raise? 10% for the big guy, who all getting paid? I still don't know why he recorded, is it blackmail? But do you really think any of them will go to jail? They say Tannic and all of them will go to hell. You a lame hunter and your daddy lame as well. It's obvious that the corruption never end. All the time will tell. President's son is a crackhead. But you the smartest guy. He noticed what your dad said. Is he the real president or Jack Lee? Why is everyone that voted for your dad dead? Hey, you know what's really wild? Got your own son calling you a pedophile. Why you getting called that by your own child? They say pay to Peter every time the phone down. Wow. One thing I would I would not want with that for that video to be a Trump video <laughs> for being pro Trump <laughs> music. Uh, yeah, that's all I'm thinking of. I'm, I'm like, he's 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 beating the right drums. I'm like, God, please don't tell me he's pro Trump after this. So that was made by um, Machiavelli, Menez, or whatever. Anyway, someone sent that to me earlier today, and I was like, Oh, I wish I could play this on the show, but I can't because of copyright. So I was like, oh, I'm going to play this on Colin. I was like, people need to hear this. This shit is hilarious. <sighs> yeah, well, he was spitting facts, though. I will say that. <laughs> I mean, when he said the son is a crackhead. No. I mean, yeah, yeah, that was priceless. Yeah, plus plus you got the crack story about the powder. Like, oh, we didn't know where the powder comes from. Like, No, you know where the goddamn powder comes from. It came from Hunter. He said the president's son is a crackhead. I was like, what? <laughs> Everybody knows. It's this bullshit I see when it comes to Hunter Biden. People tend to focus on Hunter Biden saying, oh, no, he, he's the president's son. Just let him off. But if he was a black person, there's no fucking way going to let off a, a black crackhead off. You're going to be are talking those, about it. Are those pictures of his son in the hotel room with that woman? Is it real? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's real. Yes. It's real. Wow. What part of that lyrics is he called he is him something? He called him something, and I'm pretty sure it was Professor Black Truth that said this word. I forgot what it was, but there was a word on the, I heard Professor Black Truth called him that. And uh, Hunter Biden, I, I thought Hunter Biden would say he was okay to testify. Now he's saying he's not testifying. Tell us about that. Listen, he doesn't want to testify. Um, no. He wants it to be public. He doesn't want it to be behind closed doors. No, no. He said he don't, he, he doesn't want to do it anymore. Oh, completely? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> okay. So I didn't hear that new news, but um, that's that's different than a couple of days ago. 
Yeah, because I was watching on the Jimmy Dore show, and all of a sudden he changes his mind. He says, "Oh, I'm not doing it no more." Okay, so then in in that case, he can be held in contempt. He must have been high. <laughs> Seb, I do want to say that it's another name. I don't want to touch it. I'm not. I don't think I'm gonna say nothing about it. <laughs> um, Tori, you know, it was your video. It was that video that you posted on Twitter, and I was like, "Oh my!" And you tagged me, in and I said, "I gotta play this on the show tonight." That P Diddy video, and I was like, "Oh shit!" It's P Diddy and T D Jakes. Yes, it's a complete <laughs> like. I don't know why, because I don't really know nobody, but they be sending me shit, and I'm not putting this one out, because I'm going to wait till some other people put it out first, but I'm going to say his name here, but I'm not sending it nowhere else. Jay-Z is up next. Yep, they've been saying that. Definitely, they've been saying that about him, that he's going to be up next. Yep, yep. Like, I have stuff, and I always say allegedly, because they be ready to sue, and I'm not putting... I see... Until I see the person, well, it's two people, but until I see the story actually come out, I'm not saying nothing. Notori, <laughs> mm-hmm. how do you know this? Because I know. Um, because I don't the tweet you said. You said um, you read the transcript. Yes, it's you. You know, it's the open. It's the open. Um, go to mm-hmm. where she and you can just go to but it's a group of YouTube people that I follow like um I don't know if y'all heard of well, I share some of her stuff Tisa tells and then she got people mm-hmm. that information yeah, yeah I know Tisa yeah, tells yeah. mm-hmm. uh, did you know that uh, I don't know if it was actually him but you know that guy that got kicked out of uh not Congress not no not uh in the Senate the aide I think he was on Fox News this week Really? You mean Ben Cardin's aid? Yeah. I think it was on Fox News. He was talking about the whole protest and shit. I'm like, is that really him? Some people said it was him on Fox News. I think it was an RBN that was putting over. Well, I think it was RBN. And it was him. And I'm like, really? Nobody's going to bring up the fact that uh, he said he fucked two guys in that Senate Senate chamber? Like, he even said it. He even said, look, when you read it, you read. some people will just know about one guy. But he brought up a finish. He said he, he he took a finish and another dude. So he's done it twice. And who mm. the fuck sends that shit to your friends, knowing that your friends are not going to snitch on you? And why haven't we heard that he been arrested or charged with nothing? Exactly. Cause, uh, yeah, because Professor Black Truth were talking about, he said, if this was a black person that did this, did you said Fox News would be making, talking about videos about booty twerking, at, at Fox News about this shit. Hey man, they they trying or they heated Jonathan Majors for his case. I saw Savvy and um JB talking about that on their stream. Like that's been like outside of politics. That's been that's just been something I've been following too. And in tandem with like a lot of these cases going on, like I just find it crazy. You see the difference and how like they treat you know white men that have done like way worse things and like this dude like. Whenever you would read an article, it would be like just like presumption of guilt and things like that. And even when like the verdict came out, it wasn't even like any like analysis of like, okay, well, what is he specifically being, you know, what are they saying he was convicted of this, that and the third? Like, you know, I'm actually glad that Savvy and JB talked about it because like 
you can get in weird spaces where you get like a lot of dudes that's like especially with like a lot of the like social debates going on like the like the war you know like the male female debates and shit like that like it, it kind of i feel like a lot of the like actual substance of what a lot of people are saying gets tied up in that but like i just feel like when you look at that case specifically like that shit like is crazy bro like and, and i didn't know if sabrina was gonna bring up Colin today because i forgot to mention this because she already ended her stream uh when the jonathan majors thing basically popped off um i did to watch these conservatives especially black conservatives that basically rip on disney for the bullshit they do and there's this guy he was basically watching the case but he was upset when he found out the verdict about jonathan majors and then he had a friend he has a youtube channel and that friend basically um he basically he basically was not seeing the same way that black conservative was seeing it and i told the guy the only reason why this thing is not going for majors is because of white supremacy and you can sprinkle misandry in there because all they have to do is say to see a couple of cuts on a black on a white woman and basically he's gone and then he answered me. He said, I don't see race. But I'm like, you clearly do see race because you're upset that your friend, who is also conservative, uh, it is not seeing it the way you are because you, you basically felt a certain way because you were basically saying his name. He's like, come on, that's not, that's, not, that, that's, that's not how it should be. Yeah, I just felt like a lot of, you know, like, like, like you like the the whole treatment with Johnny Depp, for example, when you saw like how the whole thing went down with Johnny Depp, like yeah, I I think that's a more similar comparison. Like, you know, it's you just like you see the clear differences, and that that you know, and um these instances where like black people get caught up. There was even another similar case. I don't know if like people from New York can speak on this or not, but I think it was a, I was reading somewhere it was a similar case where this dude got caught up similar to Jonathan Majors and he actually they actually put his ass in jail for it. Um and he got exonerated because the evidence came out that, you know, in fact he didn't do this. So is you that, know Is that the story about some some uh, anchor that basically sent a guy to jail and they found out he didn't do it and then when she found out about it she had a career as a news anchor and she basically said she wished him luck. No, no, I think this is more recently. I think this was like, um, it was more like a, uh, you know, like a regular person. Like, I think it was like, just like normal people, like non-famous people. But um, it was a lot of people that I saw breaking down, like breaking down the case, like bringing up this other case. I got to like, look this up. I'll put it on Twitter if I could find it or anything like that. But uh, Sabrina, you ever think of sometimes when you see black conservatives that say they don't see race, they, they're full of shit sometimes, only when racism comes their way. Then they fucking scream racism. Yeah, because um, because Tim um, what's his name? He dropped out. Tim Scott. <laughs> Tim Scott. Tim Scott was one of those examples. He was like, "No, America's not a racist country. No, I don't see race." And then something happened. When he, he had to bring it up one time. He was like, he talked about like when he got pulled over or something like that. And I'm just like, first of all, I guys, I lived in South Carolina. Tim Scott is is a fucking clown. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Most black people in South Carolina don't fucking agree with Tim Black. Tim Scott, excuse me, not Tim Black. Tim Scott. <laughs> but I mentioned Tim Black, uh, not on purpose. But that being said, um, if you guys have not heard, and I think I, Roger, I think I told you this, right? Um, 
If you guys haven't heard, Tim Black lost his daughter. So if you get the opportunity to do so, please, you know, reach out and send your condolences. Um, I did reach out to him and I did tell him that like, you know, I know we haven't been on the best terms, um, but I said like, and I, I admitted, I said, I didn't always make the best decisions in the past. I said, but you know, I just want you to know that I'm thinking about you and your family and stuff like that. And the thing is like, his no, daughter? Yeah. His, his daughter, no parent should have to bury their child. And so this is one of those things where like, whether you've had like beef with people in the past or not, like put that shit to the side and offer your condolences. Because the thing is, is like, if it were you, think about how you would feel. And for me, I was just kind of like, damn, like that, that's like, that's real life shit. That's not YouTube. That's not Rumble. That's not Rockfin. That's real life shit. And it happens. Yeah, because uh, I, I, I told that guy that racism does exist because he said he, he, doesn't, he doesn't believe racism exists. But I told him it does because you felt the same way about John the Majors because he brought up me too. So I'm like, his friend which clearly sounds like a white guy. But then he, he 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 comments back and tells me, no, he's Puerto Rican. I'm like, what the fuck does it matter? Puerto Rican can be black or white. So it's like they think that Puerto Rican is some kind of race, even though it's a country, or it used to be a country before the United States basically took it over as a territory. I'm like, why, why isn't Puerto Rico a 51 state instead of Israel? But white... Anglo-Saxon Protestants, so like um, wasps, they see even like Puerto Rico, they're still the other. Because that's really what it comes down to, guys. Like at least in this country, it comes down to wasp. And if you're not a part of, part like, of like the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, then like you are the other. That's what people have to understand. Like you, you really are the other. Uh, Lana, I saw your message. Um, Lana said we did reach out. Um, yes, we did reach out to Tim. Thank you so much, Lana. Yeah, because that's not. I'm telling you guys, like that's some hard stuff. Like I, I had a friend of mine. This was a couple. Uh, I want to say like. Nope. This is during the pandemic, during 2020. Uh, one of my friends from high school lost her son, not because of the pandemic, not because of COVID, but because he actually got injured. And because of the the lockdowns with COVID, they made it complicated when he got to the hospital and they were just like, oh, well, it's it's in his bloodstream now and da da da. It was just weird. It was a weird time, if you guys remember. This is during the height of the pandemic. So they didn't see him as a priority. They didn't see him as urgency. So he was kind of put to the side while they dealt with the COVID. Who is that? Dwayne, are you asleep? Dwayne. Dwayne, wake up. Wake up, Dwayne. I, I, I had to mute Dwayne. 
Oh, like what the hell is like? I, I, I'm like, is someone a pig inside? I'm like, yo, Dwayne. It's like, is that Dwayne or so? It's case study. Like, is it Roger? What is happening here? So, I um, he was doing something new. But I, I told. Um, <laughs> we'll just say Dwayne was snort. I was like, what is happening? But um, yeah. So during the height of the pandemic, and they're in North Carolina, by the way. But during the height of the pandemic. And the state shut down. When it came to the hospitals, they were taking obviously the more serious cases first. So like the COVID people came in, like they were taking their care of them first. So by the time they got to her son, it was basically already too late because he got injured, he got in an accident, he got infected, da da da, and he died. And I, I like just couldn't believe it. And like, you know, I was just thinking to myself like weren't we just in high school yesterday, like in my mind. And she was just like really distraught. Like she, she was on Facebook and she was like, I can't believe this and da da da. And I thought to myself like, yo, this is fucked up. Like this isn't right. And so, yeah, like a parent should never have to bury their child. Did she sue the hospital or did she consider suing them for that? Because wouldn't that just be like malpractice to a certain extent? She couldn't sue the hospital because at that time, this was the height of COVID. Here's the other thing. When he was in the ICU, she was not allowed to visit him because of the pandemic. (sighs) That's too bad because unfortunately he didn't have someone advocating for him. Exactly. Yeah. She couldn't, she could not even see him. Like she said, she said, I had to bury my son unseen. My ex, he lost his mother um, also during the pandemic, but, you know, it it was really sad because something odd kind of happened where she got really sick, was kind of in and out of the hospital, and then eventually she was released, went home. I want to say maybe a couple months after that, she literally just was found, passed out, and she was dead, basically. Um, But, yeah, and then for whatever reason, they... They wanted an an autopsy done on her, but the hospital intentionally did not do it. And instead, I think what happened was she was just embalmed, which was against their wishes, which was bizarre. So, yeah, I feel like a lot of malpractice went on during the pandemic in a lot of these facilities. Um, Some of these places were short staffed, but go ahead, Ron. Just rewinding back a, a minute because I was like uh, in the middle of doing something. So uh, I guess Bindu and uh, Noel, you, yeah, like the fire that you were talking about in terms of, you know, these black people in power and so on and so forth and we have to do something. I forgot the exact words. I was in the middle of doing something. You should have been on that thing that I was on tonight because that would have been music to your ears. So I'm just letting you know there there are people uh, fighting. Um, they may be somewhere where you, out of your reach or or eyes or ears or whatever. But that right there, because they was like, you know, it, it was it was it was something serious. Where they weren't, you know, like they was really putting actions to words, and they was talking about either running people or whatever. Marcel Dixon was on that call also. So, I mean, he's always on those those Twitter spaces and so on and so forth. But they, you know, they're serious as a heart attack. 
No, so oh, by the way, yeah, no, Sabrina, you told us about uh, you knew um, Charlemagne before uh, several times. That's all. I want to know who is them three people that's not going to be released January the first. Um, me too. People made guesses in the chat. People said Bill Hill and. I think one going to be Bill Gates. Uh, Bill Gates already out. His wife already outed him. Out, mm-hmm. Yeah. And Bill Clinton, I mean, he's been outed for how long now that he flew? I think Elon Musk will be one too. Really? I mean, <laughs> would the right wingers still keep this guy in if he's, he finds out being on, on that list? Yeah, because they know the history. They know the background with Trump and Epstein, and they just like like whenever I like tell people about like you know Trump's uh, not um his current wife, but um, Ivanka's mom. Like Whitney Webb, like talked about the fact that like you know she had on like some uh some uh previous person that like worked with Epstein or something like that. She talked about how like uh, Ghislaine used to run around with like Trump's ex-wife all the time. Like they would go to like these like girls schools and everything and recruit girls there like all types of shit like trump trump is just as connected to this motherfucker as like any like what they what a lot of MAGA people will call a left person is but whenever you bring that up it's just like cognitive dissonance bro it's like it's like trump was always a creep i mean if, if you remember the beauty pageants he had like the women told you that even as young when they were 13 he would just walk in there he, he said he was doing an inspection i'm like yeah, all right the big question is, is they ever going to release them videos he had in his house? Hey, did y'all hear about that he was a spy for Israel? He was doing, like, honeypot activities? Oh, yeah, I believe that 100%. The, yeah. the Mossad. They, they, they mentioned that earlier, the Mossad, it's called. Y'all got to read this book. Uh, Richard Medhurst had recommended it on his stream. It's a book called, like, Rise and Kill. And it talks about, like, the history of the Mossad, like, the foundation of Israel. Like, these motherfuckers was up to some, like, really nasty shit in the formation of that state. Like, these people, like, they were, they were, like, you had a lot of these, like, like, you had the Zionist movement that bubbled up in, like, you know, the um, the 19th century. But when it came to, like, the world wars and things like that, like, World War One, you had, like, a lot of these, like, Zionist, like, spy cells and shit that was, like, working with you know, the allies at the time, and then obviously in World War Two as well, like, it, 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 like, when I read that, when I read that book, like, it really put me on to, like, a lot of what, you know, you know, Israel was, you know, was founded on, and then also just, like, it made me reflect on, like, you know, just, like, I'm not saying that, you know, I want black people to be that, but it's, like, when you look at just, like, these motherfuckers are rot or die. It's like, it got to a point where they were like assassinating like anti-Zionists, like people that would speak out against Zionism. Like you, if you, if you found yourself in the area where there was a cell, you're getting whacked. Just like any of these like other people they didn't agree with. They were some whacked, of so. the original terrorists. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to say that, um, it's it's interesting to see like the Epstein, the D, um, the hedge fund manager. This shit is like connected to everybody. It's like like in politicians, politicians is crazy. Like you can just see 
that they all protecting each other. And Republicans always screaming about, and Democrats talking about they want to protect the children. So why haven't they been on this, you know? Yeah. They ain't seen no drag queen in sight in them um, papers. They don't really want to protect the children. And I say that because, I mean, are you guys also aware of, like, things like the Cage Boy scandal that kind of happened, like, in D.C. on Capitol Hill? Um, Have you guys heard of that before? No. I have. Okay. You have? Yeah. So, D.C., I I mean, have you guys also heard of the the cult um, called the Founders? It was a CIA... Uh, backed cult, basically, where they were abusing, ch- they were basically abusing children. Um, but no, the the government has no, they don't, they have no problem if it will further whatever agenda they have to abuse children. Um, so no, actually, um, and what's, I feel like there's something else, too, that I'm thinking of that was a pretty well-known scandal. What happened at, Boy- yeah, Boys Town. No, yeah, it was Boys Town in, um, in Ohio, was it? No, it was Nebraska, Omaha, Nebraska, back in the day, um, where there was an entire um, investigation. It was like a banking scandal that took place, and you had very prominent uh, people who were involved in this. Um, and it kind of went all the way back to D.C. in terms of how, again, it, it kind of involved allegedly some sex trafficking children um, from Boys Town, and um, there, you know, but. There was a person who was investigating it who basically he was mysteriously killed, um, you know, with, I mean, with his child, I guess, on some sort of plane. But it's just, it, unfortunately, a lot of these things, um, as much as they want to speak to how they have an issue with, well, they'll say, oh, yeah, we have concerns about children being abused. But no, I mean, children have been abused by politicians um, or there are these really odd, like the various connections to mm-hmm. you know, child abuse, uh, like, but not, but they're not actually going to like pass gender legislation to ensure that children are being protected. I mean, that just does not happen for some reason because um, I feel like, you know, children, unfortunately, um, who's really advocating on behalf of children like that? Like, is there really money in it, you know, for our politicians to advocate on behalf of like stricter legislation that would benefit children? No, there isn't. Right. They say child's um, sex trafficking is a billion dollar business. And you mm-hmm. can't tell me the FBI, the CIA don't know what the hell is going on. They know. Well, those agencies, they've been caught up in their own scandals where they would have like informants and everything that were like, essentially like, like you know pedophiles essentially and like you know i remember it was like a couple articles that came out years ago talking about like the rampant like honeypotting that was going on with children like within those agencies themselves so it's like it's not a surprise to me and then when you look at like how a lot of those agencies like take notes from the Mossad and how the Mossad conducts a lot of their business like it's not it's not surprising that they're not doing anything about it and you know they 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 don't give a fuck. That's just what it is. They don't care. And then you have to consider the personality types that can really get deeply involved in that AFBI stuff. You really need a real psychopath to really delve into the types of behaviors for those jobs. And so that's who they hire, you know, 
And it's I mean, just ugh. just look at J. Edgar Hoover. Like he tried to paint like here you are trying to paint Martin Luther King as like, you know, some type of amoral like uh dude that cheats on his wife, but meanwhile you running around, you know, doing your stuff. I'm not you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, being gay is bad, but in his mind, you know, that's what that was kind of like narratives that he would push. And meanwhile, here you are Back living what you would call a amoral yeah, so like you're living what you would call an amoral lifestyle back then. So even if what you're saying about Martin Luther King was true, nigga, you doing the same? Like you doing something like amoral, which you consider amoral too? Like just the hypocrisy of these fucking people is just like right. crazy. And let's not talk about the bodies that's been found, like been even in North Carolina, and it's scary as hell. But the bodies that's been um found, but it's no organs in them, like. Like was yeah my my dad yeah like my parents would talk about that shit all the time like you know kids that would go missing in their neighbors and it's still happening now but like that's why like it, um, it was a movie uh, with Jamie Foxx surprisingly on, on Netflix it was called they uh, they clone Tyrone and like it wasn't necessarily like the aesthetic that kind of creeped me out it was like the stories that my parents always told me about like you know kids that would go missing and they would show up with like eyeballs removed and organs removed and shit like all types of like I forgot. shit that you would see in like a horror movie and shit. Yes, you I know that happened to that. that young man in Atlanta. Yes I think it's with the coroner. I don't know if it's the same person but it's this documentary I want to see but I don't I never seen it yet but it's this this coroner that were found stuck like in the bleachers in school is that the one they you had saw? rolled him up in the, the um Those carpet people, thing yeah kendrick mm -hmm. right so something kendrick or something like that like he was a he was a high school student like mm -hmm. and they found him in the bleachers rolled up with newspaper him his organs and stuff was gone so i could tell you something about that um because i was in so i was living in atlanta um not like when it happened, but just like maybe a couple of years after it happened. And I remember I was talking to my hairdresser at the time, my hairstylist at the time, like about that case. And so she was kind of telling me that because she didn't live too far, I think, from the town where that happened, where she, I guess, where she's from. She was explaining that the real situation with that was actually, so he was killed allegedly by, um, a white male student um, that was also in his class. And that what it was was that because this kid, this white kid was basically, I guess maybe, um, I think maybe putting hands on some white girl he was dating. And so the young man tried to kind of stop him. Um, and from there, basically, I guess this kid was also maybe on steroids or something or void rage. And so he took allegedly a dumbbell and knocked him out. And I guess to hide the, yeah, and the father was also in the FBI. The, I see someone put, who put that in the chat. Yes, right. his dad was also in the FBI, helped to cover it up. Because the tapes from the school, had, like a huge chunk of it was missing. And so it was kind of like, it was it was a cover up basically as to what really happened. But I think it was an accident as to how this man killed, the, the, the fellow student killed him, but then it was an intentional cover up by obviously the, the fellow student along with his father. Um, and then also I think even the GBI, like the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, they also assisted in the cover because he knew, the father was well-connected and knew a lot of like, you know, the people also who were involved in that investigation as well. And the thing is, 
how could his organs be just disappeared? And I think they tried to call that thing a suicide, but it's like, how do you kill yourself and roll yourself up in a mat? Yeah, well, I think, no, I feel like they said it was more like an accident or something like that. That's what they claimed was that like he somehow accidentally got trapped in the mat and died that way. But like, yeah, obviously when they discovered his organs were missing, it's like, there's no but way. And that's where the parents got really upset about it. Yeah, it's a lot yeah. of them like all over this like all over US. It's like people finding people bodies but it's nothing in them. Like to me I feel like they killing people, the FBI or CIA killing people and giving it to the rich people that need that that sounds like organs that sounds like organ harvesting. Um it doesn't sound like that sounds like people that are trying to harvest organs. Well, you know, that was the, a part of the under theme of Get Out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that what Get Out was? A, I, never, I never watched it. That's yeah. what they were doing, organ harvesting? Yeah. Well, yeah. So it was this idea that um, the organs, particularly of black, of black people specifically, that it it was more potent. So it was this idea that, okay, well, we're going to give these organs from black people that we're going to then give them to these older white people who then would be able to kind of like, you know, like utilize it. But it's like they were kind of then taking control of it. It was almost as if they were in the, it was like a connection to the body in a weird way or the mind of that black person. It was weird the way like it's kind of done. Yeah, they took it in like a science fiction route where like essentially you could transplant like the psyche of a white person into a black person. I was kind of like they took it in the science fiction realm yeah. with that. I, but I haven't seen that movie. I thought that movie was just about some corner of the state that was doing slavery. Oh nah, nah. You got. I would say like you know like Wait, Jordan Peele. Who said they never saw Get Out? Me. I think that was right. Oh sure, you never saw Get oh, Out. Oh sure. Yeah, the one with um, Daniel Kaluuya, I believe that's the guy. Yeah. Oh my yeah, god. Daniel Kaluuya. I haven't okay. Seen it. Homework assignment. <laughs> when are you gonna do? Uh, what, what's her name? What's her name? She gave you three movies. You oh. still haven't done hers. Delthea, Planet of the Apes. Um. But it's it's okay, like I actually, it's, I actually um, did see that one. But go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say like it's like like. I find it like kind of fascinating that like you like you are kind of like getting these like it's it's like you have like a lot of people like these like Hollywood people like although we're getting like a lot of garbage you know nowadays with you know like a lot of these movies like you have a lot of people like they are dropping like subtle gems into these films and it's like if you peep it you peep it if you don't you don't I don't know what to tell you but it's like especially with like Daquan Tyrone like I feel like like that film like as like a film like Fan, like I was like surprised by like how visceral like I felt watching that film. Like there were certain scenes where you like would see people that have been like locked up for like basically like I, like it seemed like they were trying to stay years, and it like it just reminded me of what we, we were talking about here and what my parents have always told me about. So like you know the fact that you know that's being put on screen basically, where like you know I tell I tell my white friends about that, they will look at me like I'm crazy. But now it's like oh this is being put in the mainstream now it's like you know yeah i think the obama movies um went viral and i'm like why the hell are they doing movies 
and shit like that because to me i didn't see it but i was seeing the little clips and it was suspect to me yeah like it's it's it, it's it's like a double-edged sword with that i know with like especially now with like you know a lot of the like big budget hollywood films you know they're they are like focused more so on like pushing like you know diet you know like diversity which i guess is a good thing but when you look at no. like a lot of the black stories being told it's like i don't it's like they're not really connect like for example like you know like when black panther came out like i remember everybody going you know you had like a bunch of black people going dressing up as africans even though y'all niggas isn't african you're black americans <laughs> but whatever but then like you go and watch the movie and like yo i'm like yo they really made like to me Killmonger was the fucking hero of the fucking story, and it's like, well, exactly. They they they, they shove the the main characters. It's supposed to be the Black Panther, the Chala. He's basically the guy in the back. It's everybody else but him. Well, I'm saying like for the uh, for the first one, I'm saying like it's yeah, like said, the they one. they made like the Malcolm X figure, like the radical black leftist figure. They, it's it's like basically like the best way I could describe it is like you can like this is like they're trying to tell black people yo choose this docile lane of the black panther you know don't choose you know revenge against the people that have harmed you like choose you know this you know like go build libraries and shit you know don't don't try to get restorative justice for your people go build a library and read books and every and everything will be fine and it's like the fuck like when you when you hear like because i remember sitting through that movie and this is when i was like going into my like political awakening i guess and i'm like hearing the shit the character saying and i'm hearing like you know people saying why he's wrong and it's not making sense to me and then by the end of the movie you're, you're going to tell me the fucking white cia agent is the hero of the fucking movie get the fuck out of here bro. right is not going to give you a proper black panther story and the fact that they, they gave killmonger the malcolm x version in the comics, he's basically Malcolm X and 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 uh, MLK in one body. Yeah. When and he, this... Go back to the um, Obama movie, right? Quick. The Obama's movie. The girl that the, what I saw the clip. Um, she was talking about on TikTok. What I got from it is that they were saying that the government was do something to make it think that the other countries did it, and they would blow up their cell. And I'm like, in my head, it's kind of weird. Like, why would a, a president put something like that in the movie? It's kind of weird. Well, you're seeing these liberals push a lot of this, like, Civil War fetish stuff where, like, you would only get it from, like, fringe, like, like, or not necessarily fringe, but, like, from, like, people like Tim Pool. Like, that, that was, I remember that being Tim Pool's whole thing, talking about, like, a Civil War. But now you're, like, seeing, like, liberals push it in, like, Hollywood. There's, like, a new movie coming out. I think it's, um... Alex Garland. It's literally called Civil War. I want to know, is it a world underground that they can go to or another world? Because it's like how they keep pushing this shit and what Joe Biden is doing. It's just crazy to me because like, really, is it an underground world that we don't know about and rich people know about or another planet? Maybe if we can fool them into believing somehow that there's a nuclear war, then they'll all run underground, and then that'll be our chance to lock them underground and we can take over. I wish. <laughs> also, uh, Bindu, uh, did, you, did you say you was on Twitter? I, I forgot. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, bro. 
Uh, it's uh. Did you, follow, did you follow me? Yeah, I'm on there. I'm at American Autopsy. Oh, I seen that. Before. Yeah, that's my YouTube channel too. So. Okay, so I need to. I want to send you the same thing that I sent Sabrina. Okay. Um, okay. I'm going to put my Twitter handle in the chat. Um, but also the thing that you was talking about before with the organs and stuff like that. Uh, oh yeah, no, that's right. Uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, get out, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, so I didn't see that movie either. So when you mentioned that, that automatically made me think about when, um, you know, they used to, uh, to to lynch us in the South, and they would take uh, pieces of us, yeah, as a way to to feel. Uh, I forgot what this is. They said to feel that they're part of them. Or they yeah, that's why going back to like, yeah, like Robbie. I remember Robbie on Rising at one point was talking about the uh, Haitian um, uh, movement that they had down there. He was like, oh, they, you know, they killed the women and children and da-da-da. I'm like, bro, here in America, y'all literally used to hang niggas and, like, literally cut their fucking organs off and put them in jars, bro. Like, please miss me with that bullshit. Robbie that shit is crazy to me, bro. They did that shit to Nat Turner. Yeah, they did, they, like, I, I, I believe they skinned them. And like turned them into a purse or some shit like that. Like I'm not making a joke about it. I'm saying that's literally what they fucking did. And do you yeah. does it resonate how demonic and diabolical that is? Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be of a certain level of depraved to actually go to that extent where you were but again, they thought of them as chattel. So right. I yeah. guess they said we can tan your hide just like we do a cow. And we'll string you up. But, you know, to me, even though that was the concept of chattel in terms of ownership, those people knew that those Africans and their descendants were as human as they were. But they were, that's just how evil and demonic people are. And I bet if you went into some of these closets and attics and, you know, some of these southern states and northern states, these people know who their parents and great-grandparents were and the horrible things they did. Absolutely. Um, oh, Sabrina, by the way, do you know that... Now, I didn't know this, like, at the time because it was, like, the early 80s or whatever the case is, but did you know that IDF propaganda made its way into Marvel Comics? Yep. No, I didn't know... Yep. Okay. So back then, I was like, this person Savage. Oh, okay. I know what you're um, talking about. They made their first appearance in um, Incredible Hulk. I forgot which one it was. It was in the early '80s, but you know, back then, I, I, I was just like, oh, okay. But she, she's, um, she is part of the Mossad. She has a star of David on her chest, and she got like superpowers <laughs> and stuff like that. They're actually about to put the character in the next Captain America movie, but they like. Oh, I was, I was, I was coming to that. So she would be. She wasn't like you know those characters that be in like the comics that they can't get their own series, so they make appearances. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They, 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 they like like in the comic book that's popular just to see if they're gonna get their own series. Right, right. Kind of like Moon Knight. He'll, you know, like. Make make it appear. Anyway, that's what she she was. Okay, and they was getting ready to put her 
uh, put her character in the new Captain America movie, and in, in the middle of all this, I don't know what those people at Marvel are thinking. I mean, they they don't they they they, they basically don't know what the fuck they're doing, Roger. I mean, really, you got the fucking Israel shit like going on the, the genocide, and you want to put some Sabra character for Israel. I mean, even in the even the comic book was so dumb because a kid died in that comic book, and she pulled some bullshit out of her ass about caring about both sides. I just right. want to know when the hell are we going to get our? St- oh, I want to see. I want to see it happen like in the comics where Herman T'Challa married. Oh, they're not going to give you that. They're going to give you T.J. <laughs> Who? T.J. T'Challa Junior. The son oh, of T'Challa oh, yeah. and that villain, the villain Nakia, for some I reason. Mean, I don't understand this ever, shit. If they ever make it, I hope they start her from like, I say 12 and up. And we need a lot of them, like how they do Spider Man. Well, first of all, I, I hope they do it right this time. Because no shade to Halle Berry, great yeah, actress. But Storm is a dark skin woman she was always that way in the comic books and i'm so tired of this happening i'm so tired of them picking like these lighter skinned women to play Uh a role where the character was clearly dark it's like picking uh zoe uh what's her name zendaya zendaya no, no, Zoe Saldana or Zendaya? Zo- Zoe Saldana to play Nia Simone. Oh, yeah. And they oh, had to right. darken Zoe Saldana's skin to play Nia Simone. Why not just pick an actress who is African-American and has darker skin? No, they Should've picked gotten- someone who was Dominican to play that role. It just made no sense to Should've me. Gotten- and honestly, I'm tired, tired of it. Of- I really am. I'm going to be tired of it. They pick a light skin. Black person too, because and what's her name that played in on Black Panther, the one on um that went with T'Challa. Uh, you mean Lupita Nyong'o? I want somebody like her, but (laughs) so they could have gotten to play Nina Simone in the Irie. One point they were talking about, I remember years ago. Yeah, playing her. Okay. Um, Ten where I am. So I'm going to have to say good morning. Yeah, I was about to say it's about time for me to head out. Brady, go ahead really quick. You got to be quick, though, because it is like past bedtime for like a lot of us, I think. Yeah, I see y'all partying late. Um, it will be quick. I just want to congratulate you guys on pulling on the Jeffrey Epstein strings. Uh, I want to mention that it's like kryptonite for Donald worshippers. And two names in particular, I feel, are really important that don't get brought up very much because they're not on the client list, but they're really important to Donald Trump. And that's Roy Cohn, who is Donald Trump's first lawyer and best friend for like his whole life. And then Ali Alexander, um, who was the leader of the Stop the Steal movement. And he had a show here on Colin for a while until he got busted for soliciting nude images from underage males at the turning point university that he was working for. And um, I don't know if it was at turning point or through turning point, but um, both of those guys are accused of. Uh, 
conduct with underage males. And they're both closely associated with, it's like kryptonite. The place blows up, they can't handle it. So I think that if this information were to become public knowledge, that it would become like socially unbearable to support Donald in any way, shape or form. Wow. All right. All right, guys, I'm going to head out. Have a good night. Good night. Good night. Good morning. Good morning. Bye. I'm sick of Spider-Man ass. (laughs) I'll be Spider-Man.